I'm Luke Story. For the past 22 years, I've been relentlessly committed to my deepest passion, designing the ultimate lifestyle based on the most powerful principles of spirituality, health, psychology, and personal development. The Lifestylist Podcast is a show dedicated to sharing my discoveries and the experts behind them with you. I love me some green juice, and that's why I'm so grateful to be promoting our sponsor, Organifi. And I talk about that a lot because I use that stuff every day. Now, another product I use from Organifi almost every day, but rather at night than in the morning, is the Organifi Gold. This is the Soothe and Recover blend. This stuff tastes delicious, you guys. It's like a golden latte. Now, the core of the Organifi Gold is turmeric. It's an anti-inflammatory spice. And it's one of my favorite herbs in the world. Now, they combine the turmeric with coconut milk, cinnamon, ginger, lemon balm, and even a couple medicinal mushrooms like lion's mane to reduce stress and help you relax and sleep. It's amazing. So I use this as a base for a lot of my very relaxing tonics. So I'll have friends that come over and they're stressed out from the cell towers in LA and the traffic and the 5G and, you know, life. And um, they're like, dude, hook me up. So I'll set them up with some biohacking technology, some things that relax them. And the elixir I always make is based with the Organifi Gold. Now I put all kinds of other crazy weird stuff in there too, but this is what makes it taste good and be effective. So you can go hardcore like I do. Where you can make a very simple cold or hot drink with Organifi Gold and you'll be living the dream, whether it's in the morning, middle of the day, or especially at night, which again is when I like to take it. So go to Organifi.com, that's spelled with an I, Organifi.com forward slash Luke and save 15% off your order of the Organifi Gold or any of their other products using the code Lifestylist. Organifi.com forward slash Luke, the code is Lifestylist. This episode of the Lifestylist Podcast is brought to you by my friends over at Juve. So for the past year or so, I've been doing something called photobiomodulation. That's a super geeky term for using red light therapy. And Juve make a device that is hanging right here next to me in my podcast studio that I use just about every damn day. In fact, most days I use it twice a day. So why would you want to use red light therapy? Well, just like a whole food can be broken down into different vitamins and minerals, sunlight can also be broken down into different colors. And just like the nutrients in whole food, each color and sunlight has its own effect on our bodies. So once absorbed into your body, light energy is converted into cellular energy, which kicks off a series of metabolic events like the formation of new capillaries, elevated production of collagen, and the release of ATP. And red light therapy has even been approved by the FDA and its effectiveness has been studied throughout the world. So here's why I use the Juve red light therapy device on the reg. Repairs sun damage, which I get a lot of, reduces wrinkles, which I'm getting a few of, enhances muscle recovery and peak performance. When I work out, I have that issue. Heals acne and other blemishes, fades scars and stretch marks, speeds wound healing, reduces joint inflammation, and my favorite benefit of the Juve, increases testosterone production. So if you're interested in checking out some of those benefits for yourself, you can go over to juve.com forward slash Luke. That's J-O-O-V-V.com forward slash Luke. Here's the catch. If you use the code Luke at checkout, you will receive a special free gift. So go to juve.com forward slash Luke, use the code Luke and get hooked up with some Juve red light therapy. 
Now would be a great time to put on some protective headgear because you're about to have your dome boxed back and forth by one of the smartest men in the world. No, seriously, he's one of the eight smartest people in the world, none other than Dr. Ted Achacoso. He's the founding pioneer of health optimization medicine. He also started something called Biobalance Institute in the Philippines. He's served as a private doctor to U.S. presidents. He also made the best nootropic I've ever tried in my life. It's called Blue Canatine. If you want to check that out, it's not out yet. I got a little, you know, a little preview of it. It's insanely cool and safe, and I just love this stuff. Uh, if you want to check it out, you can go to troscriptions.com forward slash Luke. That's T-R-O, troscriptions.com forward slash Luke. Get on the wait list for this stuff if you're into nootropics, smart drugs, et cetera. It's bananas. But you know what's really bananas is how cool and how smart and how spiritually woke Dr. Ted is. He shows up at my door to record. He's basically wearing like Johnny Cash circa 1968 stage uniform. He's got a black leather jacket, black Western shirt, bolo tie, skinny jeans, pointy black <laughs> suede boots. I'm like ponytail, these bright blue eyes that just pierce through your skull, hence the need for headgear. And just an amazing guy. You know, it's it's rare that you meet someone that has a really high IQ that's also very humble and very spiritually oriented. And uh, that's Dr. Ted, man. I just, I, this interview is one of the most fascinating conversations I've ever had in my life, let alone one that was recorded to share with you. So I'm super, super stoked to drop this one. Before we get into this conversation with Ted, though, I want you to enter and to win free tickets. That's F-R-E-E, free tickets to the Health Optimization Summit in London, September 14th and 15th. You've been hearing me talk about it. I'm really excited. Uh, Ted is one of my fellow speakers. I'm the MC, Dave Asprey, John Gray, tons of amazing people who have also been featured on the show in the past will be there speaking. It is the premier health event. Uh, well, I don't know. Is is the UK part of Europe anymore? <laughs> I've never called uh, like England the, the um, Europe, you know? I don't know. I don't know what's happening with politically there, but let's just say... Across the Atlantic, this is the place to be. So if you want to win free tickets, it's pretty easy. I'm going to announce the winners on the 31st of August, which gives you a couple weeks to get your travel plans together. If you win, all you really have to do is go to lukestory.com forward slash London, or on a US phone, you can text the word London to the number 44222. Um, I'm going to select the first few people that apply. So if that's you, jump on this shit right now, lukestory.com forward slash London, or text the word London to 44222. All right, enough of that. Here's what we talk about in this fascinating conversation with Dr. Ted Achacoso. The unique cocktail of molecules that goes into Dr. Ted's nootropic troch, blue canatine. It's the legit limitless pill. Why nootropic probably doesn't mean what you think it means. How to take nootropics safely. The fact that what you don't know about poisons might kill you. Not to be negative, but as I said, he's smart and the stuff that's out there is gnarly. The optimal levels of nutrients and hormones in our bodies and how to achieve the right balance. Why Dr. Ted gives Thrive Probiotics his stamp of approval. The secrets of oxytocin, the natural love drug, which you can take exogenously. I just found out. Actually, I just squirted some up my nose about 20 minutes ago, feeling pretty, pretty cuddly. Then why we're meant to wake up with the sun and how we can hack our environment and bodies to make up for it if we happen to miss it. Dr. Ted's remarkable IQ. What doctors learn in medical school and how it screws over people with chronic diseases. The difference between functional medicine and Ted's health optimization medicine. What modafinil does to your brain and why it's not addictive. The ins and outs of microdosing LSD. 
Dr. Ted's purge-free ayahuasca capsules that he calls pharmawasca, the contention around the deuterium issue. This is really interesting to get his take. You may remember I did, I don't know, three podcasts with a total of six or eight hours or something on this a thing called Deuterium a while ago. is quite a popular show, and he's got some really great information about that. Finally, Dr. Ted's thoughts on EMF and EMF protection and why Mother Ayahuasca has been Ted's greatest teacher. So let's go ahead and jump right into this conversation with Dr. Ted Achacoso. Okay, Dr. Ted, we are now live on the Lifestylist podcast. Welcome to the studio. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I've only done a few recordings here at this new location, and it's really fun to have people come in and hang out before. So for those of you listening, we've just spent the past, I don't know, hour, hour and a half shooting the shit. And when that happens, I'm always like, ah, we should have just had the mics on. But we were talking about some off the record stuff that we can't talk about anymore. I'm sorry. But I guarantee we're going to get into some crazy stuff. So welcome. And I guarantee you guys, this place is amazing. He has a wonderful garden at back and his biohacking shed, which is actually quite a, an expensive shed. <laughs> and this setup here, it's actually fantastic. Cool, man. Well, I'm excited to sit down with you. I've been looking forward to this one. You know, as I told you, I just got back from Spain. Uh, my flight was canceled on the way back, which was an, a lesson in trusting the divine order of things and kind of surrendering to that. But as a result, I didn't have as many days to recover from that trip. So one of the things we're going to talk about later on in this conversation is all of your insane jet lag hacks. <laughs> yes. Because as a doctor, um, you've got a lot of things up your sleeve that I've not even heard of, surprisingly. So that's going to be great. But um, you guys came in and uh, I got a a little, uh, what's it called? A trochee? Yes. A, a trochee of, yes. uh, of oxytocin. Yes. Which I, I needed today because I didn't get enough hugs. <laughs> and um, and then all sorts of other various and sundry things. Um, tell me about this blue... Canatine? Uh, yeah, about the canatine. Well, the name blue canatine is derived from uh, methylene blue. And then ka is for caffeine. Na is for cannabidiol. And teen is for nicotine, which is the ingredients of this uh, blue turkey, which you dissolve you know, the, between your upper lip and your gum. And it makes you limitless for about three to four hours without any uh, jitters or, or any bad come down. That, those blue things, which uh, our mutual friend Tim, that we're going to be joining at the London Summit, uh, he's, he gives me those things every time I see him. And I'm always like, now I'm like a crackhead. I'm like, do you got any of the blue pills? The blue pills, you know? I'm like, usually I like the red pill, uh, you know, metaphorically speaking, but those things are amazing. Now, the methylene blue is interesting. You know, there's a lot of, you know, you try to buy it online yes, and it's, yes. eh, it's made in China. Yeah. It's a little dubious. Yeah. It looks and tastes so chemical that I've never really trusted it. But tell me how that methylene blue works as a nootropic. As uh, a nootropic. So, this backstory here that no one knows about is that I actually created this formula three years ago in my kitchen as a gum. All right. And then it was tasting fine. It was doing fine. And then time to find uh, someone to actually make it for me. No, con no confectioner would touch it. Apparently, gum should be made by a confectioner. I didn't know that. I thought you could go to some manufacturer. And because it turned all of their equipment blue. Oh, wow. Yeah. So right. uh, what it is, uh, meth, uh, I saw the final studies on, uh, the, the first study rather, rather on uh, human uh, memory 
uh, which used 100 milligrams of methylene blue. And I said, I bet you this is like a one-time deal that they wanted to measure, but we could probably use it in a lower dose uh, on a daily basis for improvement of your memory. Uh, and it's an, an, on some parts, it's an electron donor. You know, it uh, donates electrons in your electron transport chain on the mitochondria. So, but on, on the other hand, on other studies, it shows us it's an electron receptor. So it has that kind of biphasic action for, uh, for, and for me, all I want is actually the effect, right? Uh, I want to have uh, intact short-term memory, especially if I'm lecturing or especially if I'm fucking jet lagged and you know, you want your brain to rev up and you're, you're supposed to be in a lecture and you just arrived and you're 12 hours out of sync, you know, and it, it just works. I, I love them. And before I forget, give me the website for them. And Transcriptions.com. Uh, Transcriptions.com. Yes. Okay. It's like prescription, but it's trochee. Right. Yeah. Which is the little lozenge yeah, you put between yeah. your cheek and gum. Yes. Uh, a trochee is just actually a mechanism of a delivery, right? It's uh, spelled T-R-O-C-H-E. So for those who are listening, if you see that word, you can pronounce it correctly. And uh, what it is, is as either it's used sublingually, if it's a sublingual lo- lozenge, or as this, this is used as a classic turkey where you don't like actually saliva to, to dissolve it for you because that will be too fast. Uh, oh, yeah. interesting. So you let it melt between your cheek and your uh, upper gum. And with the methylene blue... I mean, what was it invented for? Was it invented for health or is it like a dye or something? No, interestingly, uh, methylene blue is actually uh, used uh, medically, oh. right? In uh, If you get methemoglobinemia and all of those uh, types of acute conditions. So it's a drug, but anecdotally, this is, I had a client who grew up in, um, in France and he said, you know, Dr. Ted, when, when I was younger, is it, we used to have this, blue lozenges that we'd take whenever we had sore throat and then the sore throat would go away but we'd have blue pee and i said oh that's methylene blue right so the other thing that uh, i know that it can do is actually kill off the candida in your gut so if you have you have candida, candida yeast infestation yeah it actually kills the candida really? in your gut yeah what yeah. a trip it's used as a as a uh, cleaner of aquariums Wow. So, but that's lower grade. It's not pharmaceutical right. grade. Well, that's, yeah, that's the thing I think. Yeah, that's right. That's what I found. Yeah. My friend Andy Nilo always has a blue tongue. Oh, methylene blue, man, it's the best nootropic. And then so I was like, oh, I'll go on Amazon, try to find it. And there was just like yes. a deluge of shady yes. looking companies yes. and, you know, it's fish clean, you know, tank yes, cleaner, you know, yes. all this weird stuff. So I kind of gave up on the search yeah. until I found you guys' thing. So, yeah, um, I, it's my preferred mode of delivery. Because A, you know, blue is the new smart, <laughs> of course. And the, the other thing is my, it's my preferred mode of delivery because the delivery is much more gentle rather than if you pop it or, you know, it needs to get absorbed. Here, it has a direct hit on you, but not that, uh, not that heavy a punch that you actually feel a jitter or something right. like that, especially with nicotine and caffeine in it. Right, and it has a little CBD too. The CBD is five milligrams. It's round out... It rounds out any of the caffeine that's in there. Actually, the caffeine that's in a single trochee is only a, uh, one half cup of coffee, right? So one half cup Got of it. coffee. I encourage people not to use more than four trochees a day. And that's equivalent to two cups of coffee, one stick of cigarette, the nicotine in a cigarette, that's two milligrams. 
and methylene blue is uh, totals about 20 milligrams. So, and what is the nicotine's role? Nicotine uh, is the you know uh, has been studied as an actual. Uh, neotropic. Uh, again, uh, it increases memory. It, it, uh, it increases the... For me, what it does is it actually increases the your capacity to put things together in, uh, in an integrated fashion when you're speaking out, like when you're delivering a lecture or when you have to address uh, a group of people or holding a, a meeting. It keeps you... I treat it like my legal Adderall. <laughs> you know, uh, because it focuses you, uh, it uh, it keeps your uh, brain firing synchronously, if that makes sense mm-hmm. to you. And that's how I see the nicotine. But nicotine works on acetylcholine receptors, which are, of course, the receptors for memory. Ah, uh, okay. Yeah. And this is totally accidental that I open with this because there, there's a whole backstory I want to get, but we'll just, we'll reverse engineer the conversation. Yes, but yes. while we're on the nootropics, we might as well just go all in because it's an area sure. of fascination for various reasons, I think in my life mm-hmm. felt uh, a bit limited and more dim than mm-hmm. I know I am mm-hmm. innately mm-hmm. in terms of just memory, word recall, just comprehension, communication, verbalization, reading, writing, mm-hmm. just basic intelligence. I feel like I'm fairly smart, but oftentimes, you know, the brain fog and can't catch a word mm-hmm. and things like that. So when I started experimenting with nootropics, it was like, oh my God, finally my brain turned on. And one of the ones that I like the most, which is kind of old school and not that hot at the moment is paracetam. Oh, okay. I find when I take paracetam, which I did a couple hours ago, that my verbal acuity, mm-hmm. I mean, I, you know, it's tough to quantify, but I would say up to 20% better on paracetam, just the ability to hold thoughts and word recall and dovetail conversations and just... Think of those obscure words that might otherwise elude me. It's mm-hmm. just, I get this fluidity. Tip of the tongue phenomenon. Yeah, 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 it's really interesting. Do you know anything about the racetams uh, or yes, um, you know, and the, the oxyracetam, of course. Um, if you take it, it actually has a face where you have the, this clarity of vision for some would have it for 20 minutes. I usually have it for about an hour. You know, you can take a look at all the uh, different racetams that are there. There's phenylpiracetam, there's piracetam. And, and so this, this is, these are the racetam group, but the granddaddy, of course, is uh, piracetam, right? And the safety profile is great. The Many people have taken it already. So you're safe if you want to take piracetam. But I want to clue in your listeners actually is that there are two aspects to doing nootropics, right? The nootropics can only elevate you to the base health of your neurons, of your brain cells. So you have to get yourself healthy first before you get the full benefits of the nootropics. In other words, with the way I I, uh, teach my students, uh, for example, you cannot have, uh, you cannot hack performance without hacking health first, right? So you have to have optimal health first before you can have optimal performance. Same thing with anything in the body, you know, and it goes for the brain. You have to have a healthy brain first before you can hack it to optimal performance. If you are lacking yeah. all of these vitamins, minerals, uh, you know, and you have, you have mercury poisoning and all of this other stuff that's going on in your system, those things have to go out first, right? Otherwise, you're just pushing in all of these nootropics and you're taxing your brain further. Right? Uh, that's, a, that's such a good point. And I, I've kind of come to that realization myself, um, having 
met so many people on the journey at different phases now mm-hmm. and someone will you know want to try qualia or mm-hmm. modafinil or racetam or something and I'll, I'll inquire a little bit about the rest of their lifestyle and i'll just say well you know they're saying oh i'm getting brain fog and i'll ask um you know how often do you uh, go number two you know yeah and they go oh i, I take a dump about every three days <laughs> and, <I'm> like, <laughs> and you expect your brain to work no pill is gonna fix that like, you know so it's, it really is true right if you're yeah. if you're toxic and yeah. you know all these other things downstream i think i'm just i take I, for granted that that people have already figured all that out and now they're just at the level of like fine-tuning and optimizing well so it's a um, really good point as a as a side point uh which is talking to someone at the airport coming here i said you know people think that toxins are like mercury and and you know fluoride and all of that i said toxins can be people too they're toxic relationships <laughs> i mean they right. impede your performance right they will impede right. your performance you have an argument with someone that you love before you you go on something you are not going to perform very well right so th- these are the kinds of things that i do but i like to to measure things so for example if i optimize you then i would measure the metabolites inside your body your metabolites are actually small molecules that are produced by your cells right and so the science of that is called clinical metabolomics and we can measure those now and what I do is actually I balance those to what's called optimal levels. And optimal levels will be between ages 21 to 30. Okay. Now, as to your point, for example, for brain fog, right? As a physician, the first thing that I think about when you have brain fog is, of course, a poor thyroid function. So I would check your hormones too and take a look. You know, uh, take a look at that because maybe your inability to wake up in the morning, your lethargy, et cetera, et cetera, or, and even your brittle hair is just due to the fact that you're not producing enough thyroid hormone. Wow. See? So I, I measure hormonal levels, I measure nutrient levels, and then bring them all to the, to the level when, you were, when humans are supposed to be healthiest between uh, age 21 to 30. But even then, I put a caveat on because there was a study, for example, in, in Europe that this was 60,000 uh, males that were, uh, they took a look at the testosterone levels and they were dropping. They were lower than the previous cohort that uh, they measured. So, well, we have to, we have to deal with this, right? Uh, however, the way I deal with it is as a network. You cannot just move one thing and expect the other uh, and, and expect the whole thing to correct itself. Testosterone is, is connected to your growth hormone, it's connected to your, to your uh, thyroid hormone, it's connected to all of this. They're, they're networks. In other words, they're nodes. So you cannot just move one and expect the other, expect the whole thing to get, uh, uh, get well. In fact, that was our mistake. Uh, early on in anti-aging medicine when they started to just give estrogen alone without opposing progesterone, for example. They just started to give testosterone alone, which is still very common now, you know, without giving all the other uh, anabolic and catabolic hormones to the body. Because you said earlier that you wanted to hack jet lag, you better make sure that your those levels of your, your hormones are, are uh, optimal first. And then you could hack jet lag. However, you should remember that when you're changing time zones, say for me, uh, here to Manila, that's, uh, uh, no, not here. East coast to Manila is a 12-hour time difference. Midnight there would be lunchtime here, and I would be starving. And uh, lunch there would be midnight here. So the first day, my stomach would actually be closed. My intestines are not moving, right? So what you do is you put in the appropriate timing of the hormones that will simulate 
what it is producing during the day, right? So that you're within two or three days, you're actually good. You're I've good. heard I've heard you talk about that, and I my you know it makes total sense. I mean, it's it's the other piece to the circadian yeah, rhythm, right? Yeah. Of getting in, like what I always do is just try to get grounded as soon as yeah. possible, find a body of water, do my best to watch the sunrise and the sunset as yeah. soon as I land to at least get the light part yeah. of it right. Yeah. But I do notice this huge disconnect with the microbiome. My gut gets wrecked yes. anytime I switch time zones. And so I'm seeing, oh, the neurotransmitters and the hormones, you could see how that gets off balance. But how if someone's not a doctor like you and can't travel with a bunch of needles full of the various hormones, how could the layman, uh, the layperson It's you know, actually very simple. Do that. It's really very simple. The last thing that turns around in the slowest that turns around in terms of rhythm is your gut. Okay. So when you know that you're already pooping at your regular time in the place, you know that you're fully adjusted. Okay. So that's the first thing that you take care of. Okay. So be gentle. For example, when it's expecting midnight, uh, it's, it's midnight and expecting to be closed and it's lunchtime where you are, feed it some broth, right? Be gentle with it. And then don't forget to take, if you're eating solid food, don't forget to take your enzymes with it because even the enzymatic production is actually down to digest your food. Right. right? right. So the enzymes are supplements and so are, uh, so you, you, and so are your spores, for example, for probiotics, right? You could carry those spores without get, keeping them cool and, and you take a couple of those, you know, just to make sure that. Even your microbiota get jet lagged. <laughs> you know, right, they're asleep right. at the time. They're confused, so, yeah, right? Yeah, 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 they are. That's the sense I get because there's always this dysbiosis experience. Yeah, and yeah. I was stoked to see we were in my kitchen before this and I was like, oh God, I hope I get the answer I want here. What do you think of my Just Thrive spore-based probiotics? And you gave them the thumbs up. Yes, uh, I actually like it because uh, a you you know it it will uh, actually uh, grow in the colon where it's supposed to grow. The second thing is they're they're tropicalized, so they're heat resistant, so you don't need to refrigerate them. I, I actually um, in the brand that I had them make for me. I removed just one species of uh, bacteria in there because of uh, a study that was not in there. But, you know, it, it, as it is, it has very good studies by itself. Is so the I, issue that if you take your... Because I interviewed uh, Tina Anderson, mm -hmm. which will have been published by the time your show mm -hmm. comes out. So my regular listeners will already know there's a whole probiotic episode before this. Um, I don't know the dates on these things. But at any rate, I interviewed Tina Anderson and she was giving me all sorts of interesting information about... Uh, you know, the whole probiotic industry and stuff. And what I gathered from it was that most of them that you take don't ever colonize and don't yeah. really make it. They die because of stomach acidity yes, and yes, all kinds of yes. stuff. So it doesn't matter how many billions it says it had or how many strains that it's even kind now, of a waste. It's a, actually, even now it's shotgun, right? So what I do is I, I do a stool test and take a look at the colonies of bacteria you have in there, right? Mm -hmm. So you could see whether or not you have... Ackermanser municifila and all of these other uh, wonderful organisms that are supposed to be there. It is unfortunate that the Human Microbiota Project, for example, uh, closed down because we were still unable to identify the core that's common, the core microbiota that's common to all. However, it's still a basically shotgun out there when you take a probiotic, right? Even if you measure, there are still no targeted probiotics available out there. And that's where we're going to, 
right? After you measure what you're lacking in, then you could actually give the actual targeted probiotic for that person. It becomes customized. Do you think where we're going is us to have the ability to test the biome, find out what bacteria we're deficient in, then make spore versions of those so that they are sure to colonize? If, if If the bacteria actually... Is the spore forming variety? Uh, right. So, <laughs> uh, how did I know there was no simple answer to that? I want to. Yeah. I want to back up because I. It's fun. I. You know. I. I always have my list of questions just so I don't forget the really important ones. But then uh, it's fun when the conversation just is so natural and deviates. But I. I know I skipped something I wanted to touch on. Back to the kind of nootropics part. Mm-hmm. And when I came in. You and Roland said, "Hey, we brought you a couple of gifts, and you know you have these specially made sort of private label uh, uh, trochies." Mm-hmm. And you said, "Hey, do you, you know this one's oxytocin?" You gave me a little baggie of those, and I thought, you know, to be honest with you and my audience listening, now I was emotionally having a little bit of a hard time today um, mm-hmm. due to a number of personal factors, and so. I was like, and, and literally not like getting hugs or I didn't really see any humans today. I was very kind of solo, solo mish. And um, so you gave me this oxytocin and I took a quarter of a little uh, trochee. And I don't know if it was because you guys had such great energy, but I got super happy and I was pretty depressed to be honest today, you know? And yeah. um, so what what is this um, oxytocin that you can take exogenously A and mm-hmm. B? If one was to do that on a regular basis, what would the typical application be? Why and when? Mm-hmm. And finally, would that diminish our body's ability to produce it at any point if it was done on a regular basis? Mm-hmm. Well, the dose that you took is really only a very small dose. It's the same argument is being given for the use of growth hormone for anti-aging, for example. It's a tickling dose. It's nothing compared to what bodybuilders use. In, in other words, there's a term called supraphysiologic dose, right? That's when it's used as a drug. But here, you're only using it at a very small dose to balance out your... Uh, right Right then when we met you, you had an oxytocin deficiency syndrome. <laughs> I totally I so, did. So, um, I did. Uh, oxytocin is actually very, very good at rounding out emotions, right? It makes the sharp edges of a situation uh, get blunted or sewed off. Is this uh, why you bit. can be in an argument with someone and if you can get past it, to the point where you can have a nice long hug, you both just feel so much better. Yes, because it releases the oxytocin. Even though the problem right? has not gone away. Yes. And you're just, you're like, wow, I don't, we're, we're fine, at least, you know, for the moment. Yeah. Here's a really interesting story. It's an old one about oxytocin, but they actually did this. There were like venture capitalists who were given business plans, right? The business plans were actually identical, but they were just jumbled together. Uh, formatted differently, et cetera, et cetera, and given to the same venture capitalists, right? So on one stack, we don't use paper anymore, so you can't do this trick anymore. One stack, they sprayed with oxytocin, and the other stack, they didn't, right? And the venture capitalists, on the same proposal, actually, the same proposal, they agreed 80%, you know, on on, uh, uh, funding the, the, uh, the company. So don't get any ideas, uh, startup entrepreneurs. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was just—I was already thinking about. Okay, I need a spray bottle when I walk before they come in the room. You know, spritz the room with a bunch of oxytocin, and then say, "So, can I borrow the money?" 
Uh, that's yeah. interesting. So, yeah. so no risk of downregulation. Yeah, no or, risk. Of, it's um, very low. And I use it also for autistic autistic kids, right? Really? At five? Yeah. Yeah. They they become very social. They hug. They, no they don't like way. to hug, right? Right. They don't like to hug. Give them. Like uh, I give them five five IU uh, in the morning when they wake up and then before uh, their lunchtime meal, another five IU. They actually begin to hug. And would these right? would these uh, oxytocin trochies be available commercially anywhere? Is uh, it a prescription th- thing? It's a prescription. Ah, it's, a okay. prescription. Uh, it's a prescription. But I'm, I'm just telling you the effects. You know, uh, oxytocin is also a hormone of orgasm. So if you want to have one of the best orgasms of your life, take it two hours before. Really? You know, yeah. Yeah, take it two hours before and you'll have a fantastic orgasm. That's... If your dopamine and serotonin levels are, you know, right. uh, are, are are balanced. Right. right? Um, okay, cool. Very, very good information. <laughs> now, in terms of uh, downregulation, uh, there's a couple other compounds that come to mind. Are you familiar with Jack Cruz, Dr. Jack yes. Cruz? So He's, I've had... Fed Jack on the show a number yes. of times, and you know he's got some very strong opinions about many things. And I, I invited him to speak in the Philippines. Actually, oh, you did. Yeah, I did. And you know, uh, I'm on board with 99.9 percent of Jack's stuff because mm-hmm. I try it and it works. He mm-hmm. got me watching the sunrise; it changed my life. Yeah, I couldn't get mm-hmm. him to just simplify and clarify his writing. <laughs> well, right? that's my job. That's my job. <laughs> that, that's what I pride myself in: is taking people like you. That but are, and but Jack. he loves me, so <laughs> so. One thing he's adamantly against uh, on all all basis and uh, all scenarios is um, exogenous melatonin, mm-hmm. and you know he said it just absolutely destroys the body's ability to do it. And that's one thing I use for jet lag hacking. Mm-hmm. I don't take melatonin unless I just I know I'm going to sleep like shit, or I'm traveling and I'm trying to trick my circadian rhythm, and I know that I'm not going to be able to produce it on my own. What's your view on? Regular use of melatonin. Are there downsides um, to that? Actually, if you take a look at the normal. Uh, production of melatonin, it declines with age. It's very high, you're right, 18, 19, 20. As, and it's, the peak is actually quite pronounced. By 24 or 25 years old, it starts dropping down very, very acutely. And this is in normal people, right? So for me, my point is when you're already starting to get deficient in it, you should start supplementing. And the culprit, of course, is there's a calcification of your pineal gland, right? Increased calcification of your pineal gland as you get older. And that's what stops the production of it? Yes. And do you think that the theory that uh, fluoridation of the water contributes to the calcification of the pineal gland is valid? Yes. My sister is an endodontist, right? And I asked her about this. He said that none of the fluoride is never expected to be swallowed. Wow. You know, he said you should make sure that when you use a fluoridated toothpaste, you know, that everything is actually spat out. And you're aware that that that's been put in the water supply of the United States in, in many cities, in many if not cities. most yes, cities I for am. a long, long I time, am. right? Yeah. Uh, a long-term use of it can cost chalky teeth too. Yeah. Big swindle. So, yeah. Uh, so and you, that's why the downstream, one of the downstream metabolites, melatonin, is dimethyltryptamine, right? What? Yes. Yes, of course. It's the same pathway right there. What? It's the natural production. Uh, DMT is highest when you dream. Right? Is it when you're we dream- produce DMT when we're dreaming? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Is it, they say it's highest when you're born, at night when you dream, and when your life flashes before your eyes before you die. 
So better build a good database of good memories so that any flashes, <laughs> right? your DMT trip will just go. <laughs> oh my God, that's crazy, dude. Okay, so you're not against the idea of supplementing with melatonin no, as I'm, you age. What about, uh, and this is- they, I, they can measure melatonin now, you know. Oh, okay. Yeah, this was a, a test called melatonin rhythm. Oh, okay. They can test it by your saliva and take a look at the melatonin. What I, what I learned from Jack is that whether it's produced in that moment or signaled to be produced mm -hmm. later in the night is mm -hmm. that getting that early morning red light spectrum mm -hmm. from the sun is what triggers your pineal gland mm -hmm. to actually start producing melatonin later. Would you subscribe to that? Yes, and we're yoked to the sun. I love Jack for, yeah. for totally emphasizing that always. We are yoked to the sun. We have forgotten our uh, relationship with uh, environment. And one of the things that he really emphasizes is light, water, and magnetism, right? That's his right, thing. Right. And for me, you're meant to wake up with the sun hitting your skin. When the sun hits your skin, you what? You start producing the stress hormone cortisol. You wake up, right? Your thyroid hormone also starts surging. That's why you take, when you're hacking jet lag, you take thyroid hormone and hydrocortisone in the morning so that you know, you're, you, you, you wake up. This is just mimicking the natural system of the body. We're not doing anything different. We're just copying. Right. Right. And however, we have artificial lights now. You know, we, we don't follow no regular sunrise and sunset. So it's very difficult to do that. So the best way to do is to hack your lighting system and also hack your internal melatonin producing system. Okay. I want to totally do a funny, funny um, rewind here. And before I forget, I want to go back to the beginning of where I wanted to start the conversation from a place of logic because um, I just went on intuition, which was great. I, there's something that I know nothing, well, many things I know nothing about, but in relation to studying you and inviting you on the show, one thing that I found intriguing about you is that you have this purportedly uh, phenomenally high IQ level. And I, and I, I also found it interesting in listening to a lot of your, your work and studying what you do, that you're a man of deep humility. And I'm sure that because of that, it's not something you typically like to talk about or, you know, God forbid, brag about, but give us the numbers of your IQ because it's something you're kind of known for as being this really brilliant guy that's sort of been uh, quantified through testing to be so. Because I don't know like if an 80 IQ means anything, 200, like I have no point of reference for genius or beyond. So well, the point of IQ tests is it measures how well you take IQ tests. <laughs> that's, that's it for me. Um, uh, I, I joke at, uh, about it this way. It's like um, 210 on a bad day because I cannot understand anyone and 186 in a good day because I can understand some people. <laughs> so 186 would be on the lower range and yes, 210 yes, on the higher it, range. Yes, it fluctuates. And, but the meaning of that really is if, if you look at it as a hard values, it's not the proper way to look at it. You look at it in terms of the probability of occurrence, right? The probability of occurrence of that type of score in a test for me is one in a billion. Okay, so that's that's a better way of looking at it. So your IQ on average humans that have taken such tests is one in a billion. Yes. And so that would mean there's about eight human beings on the planet yes. that have the IQ. <laughs> when I was measured, have. and I'm continuously measured, when I was measured, uh -huh. uh, there were uh, four of us. So there's now eight of us. Because the population's yes. doubled yes. since then? Yeah, were, you, yeah. were you a kid or something? Is that I was... Uh, I was 15 when I first measured and I was first year in college. Interesting. Yeah. Another thing I find interesting about your exceptionally high IQ is that you have uh, seem to have some experience in entrepreneurship. Yes. And there was 
I don't know if it was a study or what kind of information it was, but I took this in at some point uh, and I hung on to it. And now I can't find the point of reference, but there was an expose or a report or something on the highest IQ people on the planet. And Mm -hmm. this paper indicated that they all worked for someone else. They were all kind of bean counters essentially. Mm -hmm. And that, you know, the Steve Jobs of the world and all the truly um, innovative uh, gene, you know, people that we think of as genius have don't really have that high of IQs. And the um, the theory there was that if someone has a <laughs> too high of an IQ, they're able to calculate the risk of a venture, <laughs> and they don't do it. They don't pull the trigger. Whereas you have these sort of like uh, you know these cavalier kind of you know bright yes. people that are they're very creative and innovative, but they're not smart enough to to not pull the trigger because they don't care about the risk. So that's a wonderful question, by the way. I teach this to all of my students also. I said, is to have an evolutionary point of view. And what's the essence of an evolutionary point of view? You throw out as much shit that you can out there and see what takes, right? right. And so whatever survives, you know, whatever project survives, the, the environment selects for it, your capability to... to um, to uh, sustain the project and interest, et cetera, will keep it alive, will make it successful and so on. So you can not just have one. You, you should have, you know, several projects going, you know, see what takes. It's like um, I, I, I actually traded currencies for a while using artificial intelligence models and I was winning. But at the beginning of the week, I would have like 12 species that I call 12 artificial intelligence models that would go start going right and they would compete with each other some some would lose etc by wednesday i probably have out of the 12 i probably have just six left because i kill them one by one right by friday you may have only one going and you're losing a lot of money and then it makes this one that's known for it makes the the, the model goes this one major trade that you were not expecting it to make and boom you know you recover all of your money and then some so you know for me, that's the way you, uh, the uh, evolutionary perspective is a lot better than calculating the risk because you cannot calculate for the risk of the environment, you know? And because it's spontaneous yes, in its and, nature, and, right? Yes. Uh, uh, there are companies, for example, that do not survive just because they're lo- in the wrong geography, right? They're not in Oh my God. Yeah. I've, I've observed this with retails because I've lived in yeah. LA for 30 yeah. years and, and I have a couple of friends and we who have lived here for longer and we observe there are certain like we call them energy vortexes yes, yes. there's certain lot like commercial plots here mm-hmm. of land that no matter what they put there and how much money they sink into the building and what kind of you know marketing they do they will always fail there's just dead spots. They're like yes. these vortexes of energy. You know, I um, have you ever observed that? Or no, does that, that relate was in the to what mathematics you're saying? That I, I wrote a book, right? On the uh, what they they now have a term for it. They call connectome. Right? When I wrote it, it was a neural circuitry database. It's the wiring of uh, of the nervous system of a worm, right? And it was used by just 100 labs in the world in 1992. And then a lot of people are now reading it up because. I found out that the uh, field, which we called connectionist systems in AI before, is now called deep learning. So oh, what marketing yeah, can yeah. do, right? <laughs> <laughs> so so every, suddenly everyone's interested in the book over again. But um, anyway, during the time, and it's called connection systems, that's why I, I have this network perspective, right? In health, in what you were saying, the, there were models actually uh, called uh, neural network models that would model where you're actually 
you can, you can put in a profitable business. You know, you could put that in, you can model that in a landscape. You could see, and you could see that there will be holes that really, that, yeah. Yeah. Do you think that has anything to do with um, the uh, oh God? What's that word I'm looking for? It's part of a, it's part of an geopathic stressors, you know, yeah. cracks where that magnetic field comes up. It could from be the surface from of the geopathic Earth. stressors. It could be from which may be underlying the Chinese practice of feng shui, right? Right, uh, right. It could be uh, uh, from the fact that of the way. It's not only geopathic stressors, but the way you structure the city or the lo- location. You can calculate actually the number of one-way streets, you know, where you can choke off a business. Oh. So if you want to choke <laughs> off a business, you know, you, you can say... That's hilarious. <laughs> yeah, right, you, you right. can say, okay, this is not a one-way street and that's not a one-way street. Right. You can see an area of, 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 of the city Maybe becoming Maybe that's why it's taken a downtown LA so many years to kind of come up to speed. You know, it's been this kind of dead zone for all these years up until maybe 10 years ago, they started kind of building it out and gentrifying it. But yeah, it, there's it, a lot of one-way streets down there. Maybe that's been the problem. Yeah, it's, it's uh, as I said... You know, what can you fractalize? My, that's my term. What can you fractalize? You see the network? You can do that for streets. You can do that for health, right? Uh, for example, if, you, if you're taking too much zinc, for example, your copper will start going down because the body will start balancing. It's in a network, right? Right. So right. during, I see this uh, very often during the winter season or during uh, the cold months when, when colds are very prevalent, people are sucking on cold ease and all of these zinc products and their zinc levels just start rising and you see their copper levels just start plummeting. So. That's funny because <laughs> that's way further in my line of questioning <laughs> here. Anyway, no, yeah, it, it's yeah. just showing you, yeah. showing you that these things are network, right? Yeah. You, if you, uh, in, in event where we were talking about hormones earlier, you cannot uh, give cortisol without giving growth hormone. They're opposite. If you give cortisol, it will suppress growth hormone. If right. growth hormone, it suppress the cortisol. The way bodybuilders don't like cortisol, right? But right. they're weak as fuck. You know, when they're on stage and stuff, there's, they're really, really very tired because they can't handle stress anymore at the time. On the top, I'm just going to jump in there now because yeah. you hit the point that I wanted to hit. Something I've just been sort of researching, um, a, a guy named Dr. Morley uh, is a big expert in minerals mm-hmm. and uh, his area of expertise specifically is dealing with iron toxicity. Mm-hmm. And you know this iron gets bound in our tissues, mm-hmm. and for whatever reason, in the 1940s or 50s, we started putting freaking iron ore in all the cereals and breads mm-hmm. and fortifying things with iron, um, and how that interferes with the copper in your yes. body. And you know, I can't begin to explain it, but it, in your practice, do you do you look at the iron toxicity, and are you like I do? Is that part um, of your iron is one of those uh, difficult things to manage because. Uh, iron in the intestines, for example, we have a fixed amount of receptors for iron. If you take any more, it will you're just going to poop it out, right? So if you notice, if you take too much iron supplement, your poop is going to be like black, right? And that's too much of an iron supplement. But but even the the any condition in the intestine that will absorb its uh, affect its absorption, like for example, there's a competing mineral that. Uh, that the transporter will use, right? That will use a transporter rather, whether or not you have dysbiosis and you have uh, leaky gut, all of this will influence your absorption of iron. But you can generalize that more actually to other minerals as well, right? It is not just iron. They have their own transporters. They have their own um, mechanisms of being absorbed and they have their own positions within the cell. 
And the reason why iron is very important to us, of course, is that it's it forms uh, the iron sulfur clusters in the mitochondria, right? And they they are in our hemoglobin and so on and so forth. But generally, we do not lose iron unless we bleed. That's why women who are menstruating, for example, would need it, right? Because uh, they 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 get anemic because of that. But in general, we can absorb iron from food, right? It's it's just a matter of being able to take a look at uh, or separating what kinds of diets are, are are actually bad for when you're taking iron. But iron is generally in like bitter leaves, right? Uh, moringa, for example, would have a lot of iron. It tastes what very I'm, bitter. What I'm getting at is kind of the flip side of the coin, and that is that we have too much iron, mm. and so. You know, one of the best recommendations for that for men, as you said, because we don't lose blood, is to go donate blood. You know, as you get up over 30 to donate blood four times a year to get rid of excess iron so that then the iron that um, is coming in environmentally is more balanced. Have you heard of that or is this, you know, is this an no, issue from, at all? From my practice, which has been a long time, yeah. iron toxicity is extremely rare. Uh, okay. Right. I would rather focus on your mercury toxicity right. and your cadmium toxicity than focus on your iron toxicity. Okay. Right. Okay. It's it's a it's a very rare occurrence. Okay. Right. Yeah. And, As and, someone who's had high mercury and lead, really high lead, lead, which and, I've I've done a lot to to get down. And uh, I had a, a case, a physician who actually <clears throat> ate a lot of canned goods, even if tin is already banned from from uh, canned goods. You know, his tin was way off because he was eating canned goods every day. Oh, interesting. Yeah. yeah. So in your, um, this is another thing I kind of wanted to come at the, from the beginning. And I, because there's so many crazy things I want to get to here and you've done interviews where you lay all this out in much more detail and I mm-hmm. encourage people to find them and we could do other interviews where we do it, but give us a little bit of, of your journey through, you know, what you might call illness medicine and the overview that you have versus kind of illness, functional medicine, mm-hmm. and then the area that you're taking it into, which seems to me a bit more of a global comprehensive way of looking at it. Mm-hmm. And I really think your perspective is interesting. And if there's a way that you can kind of summarize it briefly because I don't want to miss that piece mm-hmm. but there are so many other things I want to get to too. Okay, um when I was uh looking at the new sciences that were coming out like uh the sciences of mitochondria, the microbiota, the exposomics which is the study of toxicities, right? Or your exposure to toxicities both inside and outside, chronobiology, uh that's a a popular term nowadays, evolutionary medicine, which just started out in 1990, epigenetics, which people have heard about. And then now metabolomics. How do I put this all in clinical practice? And I found out that, you know, in illness medicine, you uh, diagnose and treat diseases. So I said, so what if we had a specialty that just detected and corrected imbalances without addressing the diseases, right? Just to keep the healthy cell healthy, right? And then I realized that there's actually a spectrum. You know, before everyone knows this, before you get into disease, you get into borderline deficiencies and subtle toxicities before you actually get the pathology or the disease itself. But technology did not have that, a form of measuring before, right? They could only measure once the disease has occurred. Is right? this why we got set off on the path of allopathic or as you say, disease medicine where 
symptom erupts, find a drug or a surgery to get rid of the symptom and and then move on. Yes. <laughs> it's kind uh, of like, actually, um, or is, I, it, is that because it's so much easier to monetize that because the system keeps people within the well, system and you can keep sort of milking cash out of them and their insurance also, companies? I mean, chronic diseases it's is both. a big source of money, right? Right. In, in medical school, essentially what we're learning is really very simple. Anatomy, which is a structure, physiology, which is a function, right? And then for... And then we go to pathology, which is diseases, right? And then from pathology, learn pharmacology, which is drugs and surgery. So that's what we do all the time. Anatomy, physiology, pathology, uh, pharmacology, surgery. That's our mantra. You go to the heart, you go to the liver, you go to the brain. It's the same thing. Structure, function, disease, drugs, surgery. However, it's, it's like um, uh, we were talking about this beforehand. Um, the metaphor I'd like to use is the one for cars, right? When you go to your illness medicine doctor, you already have a flat tire, you know, and the doctor either patches your flat tire or removes your tire entire and uh, your your tire entirely, and that's called a transplant, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> you, right. Okay. You, good. you um you uh, you patch it, and that's called a, a you know graft. A, a coronary artery bypass graft that's patching, right? So that's how we know how to deal with a tire. When you come in with an overheated engine, that's like a fever, right? You go and test the blood for, hey, this is a Klebsiella pneumonia or this is a Dumont's aeruginosa and you can give antibiotics, you know, to, to the patient. But that's the extent of what we really do. We fuck up at chronic diseases, right? And that's because we were never taught how to maintain a car. Right, so we go right into disease without knowing. Okay, how to maintain a car? Our cars are luckier because they have sensors in there that says three thousand miles. Time for you to, you know, to bring your car to the garage. Right, and that for me is the origin of um, health optimization medicine, which I pioneered uh, ten years ago. Uh, health optimization medicine is for doctors. Health optimization practice is for non-doctors. And what we do is simply to detect and correct imbalances at the level of the metabolome. Now, this was not easy to combine. The clinical metabolomics is about 40 years old as a, as a science, but it's only come to the clinics recently. You measure all of these metabolites inside the cell. Now, I cannot fault illness medicine entirely for not looking at this because the tests were not available then. Right now, the technology is available. Hell, we just we used to just memorize all the all the metabolites of the Krebs cycle, right? And now it's like shit. Doctor Ted is measuring all of them, and and you go, I have to go back to my basic biochemistry. Um, but now that we have the technology, why don't we begin health here, right? Why don't we see where we are having imbalances in before it goes into into um, full blown disease? And that's the practice of health optimization medicine. It's the maintenance part of the car. And what's the difference between that and you know the the, the best of the functional medicine approach, yes. where you go, you know, you get all your Genova labs yes. done, you just yes, the urine, the hair, yes. the the blood, and you Thank know the, you the for poop. Saying that, and you you know, and you look at it, and you go, oh, you're deficient in this. Supplement that, and then you know that is kind of like a root cause approach, yeah. which I think is much better than the old system that you right. just described. However, okay, the, the big thing is that they still deal with disease. We don't. When you come to us, we set aside your diseases. We only take a look at your 
subtle toxicities and borderline deficiencies and move those. Whatever happens to you that's good is what I call a beneficial side effect. And therefore, uh. we have no claims. Uh, a lot of patients come to me and say, Dr. Ted, why don't you claim that you're able to reverse diabetes and this and that? I said, because we have no claims. All I did was just balance out your, your levels of nutrients and hormones to the level when you were between 21 and 30 and balance properly. All of these other things disappear. You sleep better. You know, you have a lot more energy, which is a very common complaint, right? Uh, having a low battery. Uh, you, you relate better. Uh, in fact, one of the one of the best stories that I have about it is my, my car was driving away. I saw the driver of a, a client of mine actually running towards the car. So I asked my driver to stop and, and I rolled on the window and he said, Dr. Ted, whatever it is that you're doing to the boss, can you please continue doing it? And I asked him, why? Well, you know, She's been so nice for the past six months since she started handing her. She's very uh, cordial to her employees. You know, she doesn't yell anymore at meetings. She's very, um, she's very calm. She doesn't walk out anymore and so on. So I said, well, you know, this is the best testament for me to continue doing what I'm doing. Right? I make no claims. Right? But it changes your relationships. Yeah, as a CEO, for example, you make better decisions for yourself, for your family, and your company. You know, uh, so doing that is a, the trickle down effect that you see if you work with these kinds of people, especially those with a lot of power, a lot of wealth that can be used for greater good. Right, and then you make them feel better, and everything gets better. Right, I've tried to work on the grassroots; <laughs> it doesn't work as well. Right. Yeah. Again, I'm, I'm, I'm network based, you know, yeah. which one is the Google, the Amazon and the, uh, you know, um, of, of, uh, of, of, of all these nodes and you try to get to them so that they make the world a better place by feeling better. Sure. Sometimes that's uh, the reason too that I try to get some noteworthy people on the podcast yeah. and sometimes I'll put that out there and listeners are like, we don't care about famous people and I don't care about famous people either. I worked in Hollywood for 17 years. I don't, I could give a fuck about famous people. <laughs> Most of them are a royal pain in the ass. No offense, but it's just the truth. If it's not them, it's their publicist. But <laughs> I also recognize that they have such an influence, you know? So yes. you have a Kim Kardashian, if she starts coming out talking about, uh, you know, the, uh, the fact that, um, even just like, hey, don't chew aspartame gum. Like just someone at that level just saying that mm -hmm. could affect generations yes. of people down yes. the stream. Just one little thing. And so imagine if you get someone with influence that has even more knowledge and you help them spread that knowledge through alternative media like we are. So I, I, I think of that same kind of systems way too in terms of the sphere of influence rather than you know trying to get everyone yeah. out working in the field, let's get the guy who owns the field you yes. Know, yes. to change their mindset and they're going to start you know, paying all the workers, feeding all the workers and it's going to have that trickle down effect, which is a really, it's just so true because you can see how it works. Yeah, for, for those people, I, I actually have a funny comeback when I'm supposed to know someone and I don't know him or her. It's supposed to be you know, this very rich person and so on. And I go, what charity does he donate to again? <laughs> uh, <laughs> if I funny. don't recognize, I said, no charity? Oh, okay, not worth knowing. <laughs> that's, uh, that's funny, dude. <laughs> we'll be right back at you after this brief but important announcement. Would you like me to save you some serious cash right now? Listen up. You're probably wasting tons of money on vitamins, herbs, supplements, 
maybe even prescription drugs, trying to improve your sleep, your sense of well-being, happiness, your energy levels. And I'm here to tell you, all you really need to do is probably just get solid REM and deep sleep. Not enough hours per se, but enough of the right types of sleep. And I can also tell you, based on my research and interviews with over 200 experts on this here podcast over the past few years, that if you are not blocking blue light from your life at night, you are not producing enough melatonin to give you the type of sleep that you really need. Enter the company, one of my favorite sponsors, Blue Blocks. That's B-L-U-B-L-O-X, blueblocks.com. Make some not only attractive and pretty cool looking glasses of the prescription, non-prescription, and even reading glass nature, but you can also get 15% off on their website by entering the code LIFESTYLIST. So their glasses look cool, but they really work to cut out the blue and green spectrum of light that trashes your melatonin, hormones, and neurotransmitters. So if you want to be healthy, listen, stop ordering a couple of those supplements and just work on your lighting. This is really, really important. And I'm very enthusiastic about this because after changing all the lighting in my house to old style incandescent bulbs and wearing protective uh, glasses like this at night when I go out or watch TV or work on a computer, whatever the case may be, um, my health has improved dramatically and so has my energy and my mood. It's serious stuff and it's very affordable and much cheaper than some of the other interventions that you're probably trying right now or some of the medical interventions that are likely to be necessary later on. So go to blueblocks.com, enter the code LIFESTYLIST to save 15%. And now back to the interview. One that I wanted to ask about was uh, another one that I use, you know, very in a very targeted way, but I, I don't know if I could live without it for certain things like travel. Mm-hmm. Uh, and just if I happen to have a really crappy night of sleep and I have to perform at a high level, it just fixes me. And that's modafinil. Mm. What what might you have to say about I love that? modafinil. You do? Oh, I do. I do. Except that modafinil raises your blood pressure. So you have to be careful about that. The uh, modafinil, uh, actually, I only take a quarter tab. Yeah, me too. Yeah, because... I'm the one who experiences all of its side effects. <laughs> I'm the unlucky one that experiences all the side effects. Right. Sore throat, dry mouth, and all of these other things that they you say, mm, this will never happen to me on a one-fourth tab and it does. Right. right? But it does raise your blood pressure so you don't use it uh, for hypertensive people. Would, um, would you say the, that that would be a reason to not take it during air travel? Um, no, when you land is when you want to take it. Uh, you don't see, take, I take it, take while it on the plane. No, bad idea. Bad idea. What about taking paracetam on the plane? That's fine. Do you, doesn't doesn't paracetam uh, help bring oxygen to the brain? Yes, but you know that what? was my that was my theory. Like, well, <laughs> if there's a low oxygen environment, how can I get more oxygen to the brain? I'll take paracetam. Let me. Um, let me uh, disclose a hack that I've never disclosed anywhere Ooh, before. Yes, <laughs> I love it. I actually um, microdose EPO. What's that? Erythropoietin. It's a hormone that uh, makes your body produce more red blood cells. But what? I use it in very, very small doses. It's the one that um, Lance Armstrong got busted for. Really? Right? Do you need to be a doctor to get this too? Yes. You have all the, I'm going to med school. God damn it. You have all the cool stuff. But and this is the first time that I've seen anyone actually do that kind of microdosing because um, I use a very, very low dose, like only 400 IU a day. 
you know, that's a fort, sorry, 40 IU a day. And that's while, a very- While traveling. Well, well, uh, traveling, for, yes. For flying, yeah, for specifically. Flying. Okay. I, actually, I use it, I use it a month before extensive travel. Oh, right? wow. I use it uh, months before extensive travel. But since I've been traveling extensively for several years, right. uh, I started doing this about three years ago. So I've been doing it for three years now, every wow. day. Yeah. Uh, so modafinil has some side effects, but you know, the interesting thing about it, because it, it does feel kind of stimulating yeah. uh, what I imagine Adderall might feel like. But the weird thing about modafinil, for me at least, um, having a history of being someone that's very easily addicted to things, mm-hmm. even if like I don't like them, mm-hmm. if they're habit forming, I will form a habit and just hate the habit, but keep doing it. And it's been a long time. So I was a little scared because it is a pharmaceutical. Mm-hmm. The weird there thing about a- modafinil, like... I I can't if I tried to become addicted to it I couldn't I forget to take it for a few weeks maybe a couple months and I go oh damn I I could have had a modafinil there's a there's a supplement uh, also form you don't need to be a, need to have a prescription it's a drafinil uh, a drafinil uh, the liver will actually cleave it to form modafinil. Oh, interesting. And then it will have the same effects. So if you don't want a sudden effect of modafinil when you have it, just have a drafinil. The body will actually uh, convert it to modafinil and you have the same effect. Why do, why do you think it's not addictive? It's like, it's not, I know it's not an amphetamine mm-hmm. and amphetamines are, you know, addictive for some people more than others. But it's like, it makes you not tired, but it doesn't make you wired like some sort of methamphetamine mm-hmm. yeah. would. Uh, yeah, I've, it's just, it's really weird. Do you happen to know why it, like why you can't really get addicted to it, even though it is somewhat mood altering in a yeah, mild um, way? The, the way I, you know, reading about the material sense, we don't really know how it works, right? It's called, right. A, it's called a eugeroic, right? Eugeroic means it makes you feel good, but the mechanisms of action is actually not known. But Looking at the way it acts, uh, I think the reason why it's not that addictive is that it has a more balanced release of dopamine and serotonin together. Oh, okay. If it were pure dopamine like Adderall does, then you will really get addicted to it. Right. Right. Because uh, dopamine inducing the rush is uh, uh, highly addictive. Just like Instagram. Yeah. And, and pornography. <laughs> pornography raises your dopamine, right? Yeah, that's why I quit that shit. It's horrible. Two years ago, I said, I've had it. I'm done. I want natural dopamine. Um, okay, that's interesting. And the other one I wanted to ask you about is Fenibit. Mm-hmm. Are you familiar with that one? Um, I just took it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I should have known. A few nights ago. Oh, okay. Yeah, to, for, for sleep, yes. That's addicting. Yeah. 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 Uh, and and I, I've noticed if I do Fenibit too often, mm. I get weird headaches and like yes. kind of vertigo feeling. It definitely, I've been turned off to it a few times because I think I took too much. And it's, it's just, that one is like even more risky, I think, in terms of negative side effects than modafinil or the Rastams or any of that. Like if you mess with Fenibit no, f- too much, fe- it can screw you up, right? Yeah, I, I, I don't take it. Uh, I probably take it only like uh, once in a month or because I don't like the Fenibut head. When you wake up in the morning and you're groggy, Right. Right. And right. even worse is the Fenibut boner. You don't have any. <laughs> so you wake up with nothing. <laughs> it's inverted. <laughs> it's turned into a vagina. <laughs> yeah. I, um, yeah. If you're, uh, for example, wanting to just use it once because you're jet lagged and you want to sleep, you know, and you have the next day, you have the next day free. 
that you can sleep for a long time. Right. Because it tends to prolong your sleep. Right. It you know what prolong- I like Fenibit for is, and maybe this is because I don't drink alcohol, but I find it to be a really good social lubricant. Ah. I, uh, low I, doses. Yeah. Yeah. yeah Fenibit, I just, I don't know. I'm talkative and friendly and able to socialize a bit easier. Yeah. It sort of removes a bit of the social anxiety. Mm-hmm. Not unlike... Uh, one glass uh, of wine, you know, like yeah. one drink. Not, I don't feel drunk at all, but similar sort of GABA, relaxed, yeah, social feeling. Yeah, or or you could also take um, two hundred milligrams of uh, magic mushrooms and we'll do the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, on, on the uh, on the psilocybin because we talked about this earlier, and this is you know I'm fascinated by microdosing because for so many years I just didn't touch anything. Mm-hmm just because that was, those were my rules. And now um, I experiment a bit more. And I was telling you the story of how when I first started microdosing psilocybin or magic mushrooms, mm-hmm. I got, you know, I was very paranoid. I didn't want to get high. That wasn't my intention. I just wanted better brain function, mm-hmm. et cetera. So I, you know, I, I actually met a guy on the side of the freeway. He did the handoff. It was very much a drug deal. Uh, it came in a plastic baggie and I got a digital scale and I measured a few caps and a few stems and mm-hmm. I've, I'm okay. Two tenths of a gram is the recommended dose. I'm sticking to that. I'm not going to mess around. And so I kind of eyeballed what it was and then I used the scale for it. And eventually I just, I kind of know the weight. And yeah. so, you know, I just uh, take one stem and one little cap in the morning with my coffee. And one time I did that at a Tony Robbins event in San Jose. Um, and I must've picked a cap that had a lot of psilocybin <laughs> in it. Cause I felt, I wasn't, you know, not tripping, but I just felt uncomfortable in, mm-hmm. a, in a stadium of 12,000 people. I walked in and heard the, that horrific music. God bless Tony Robbins, but he does play some horrific music. And I felt like I was like at a Motley Crue concert in 1984 <laughs> again, you know, when I used to like take psychedelics in it's, the wrong situation. It's difficult to tell the quality of the... Well, so what I did, yeah. and I want to see if I screwed them up um, or if I'm still getting an effect is I, I got an ounce of mushrooms next time, like a much bigger batch so it would last me. And I put them in my coffee grinder and I made a powder out of it. And then I weighed a little scooper to get exactly a standardized dose of two tenths of mm-hmm. a gram so that the the variant of psilocybin in each part of each little mushroom would just be unified, right? Mm-hmm. But you said something earlier, I think about the potency, the potency of psilocybin decreases, degrading, yes, de- degrades, degrades uh, over time. Over, over time, yes. So my, th- my method might suck then, huh? The coffee grinder and then put them in the refrigerator? Yeah, and um, if you put them in the refrigerator for storage, in fact, you should vacuum seal it. Right? Ah, okay. Even vacuum seal it. And right. even then the potency still decreases. Really? So yeah. it's better to buy uh, a smaller batch yes, less yes. frequently. Yes. But then again, you don't know how long they've been sitting around whatever hippie. That's why you need basement. to grow your own. It's legal. <laughs> Is it really? <laughs> it's legal to grow your own. You can buy the spores and Are Amazon. You serious? Yeah, absolutely. Is it hard to grow? No. No, because oh, I have a decent green thumb, as you may have guessed. You know, I've got a, yeah. multiple plants in the house. Now you, you need to get a decent white thumb because right. it's a fungus. Well, <laughs> well the other thing that um, concerns me about mushrooms is they often appear to be moldy. This blue yeah. stuff yeah. on them, like, yeah. is that mold? Yes, it looks, <sighs> it's, if it's growing on them, um, yeah. then... Because when you grow them in a lab, they don't have those little no, blue streaks no, and stuff. Uh, yeah, no. God damn no. it. Because they're also like, you know, when when you're growing them, there are also spores in the air from whatever, you know, and okay. they could land on them. And, okay. Especially if it's yeah. on a piece of cow shit. Yeah. In, in <laughs> yeah. a field in Oregon. Yeah. 
<laughs> by the way, uh, did you hear that podcast that was done by Fadiman himself on microdosing? No. He said, he basically narrated the story of how the dosing solidified into, yeah, it's a uh, uh, 0.2 to 0.5 uh, grams of of uh, of mushrooms, you know, would be the uh, the the, the uh, microdose. And he he actually told the story. Like he never said any such thing. You know, what he did was he was telling, advising people, why don't you try this? You know, 200 milligrams and la la. Why don't you try increasing it to 500 milligrams? And you know. And then suddenly he was surprised that people saying, okay, it's one tenth of the tripping dose. It's 200. It's, it's suddenly it became like this rule. But when I heard him in his podcast, you know, I think it's a psychedelic salon or something like that. When I heard him in the, in the podcast, I said, oh my God, you know, here's one who is considered as the father of microdosing this LSD and, and, and uh, mushrooms and whatnot. Um, he, he, he you know, his work or his words were actually just congealed into some rule that, that now everyone follows. That everyone follows. This is, I found it hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure he did too. Or horrifying. Like what if he had given a much larger dose and just everyone's tripping balls thinking, wow, he's right. I feel amazing. Uh, okay. And, and, and in terms of the, the mechanism of action mm-hmm. of psilocybin, what's that doing for us in terms of you know, cognitive ability, memory um, enhancement, vision, what, you know, how does yeah, it affect the brain? They affect certain receptors of the brain, right? They, they, re- they affect certain receptors of the brain that allow you to form novel, novel connections among things, right? And usually um, those connections have some um, empathogenic quality to them, right? So, um, when you're activating those receptors, those receptors are also activating other portions of the brain which have not been there before. So it's a novel connection, right? And it usually is an pathogenic connection, meaning it's something to do with feeling. That's why mushrooms are usually associated with, you know, very good feeling states, right? However, try taking mushroom when you're angry. It will just amplify the anger. Right. right? That's the that's the terror of psychedelics mm-hmm. is, of the, is the, you know, the always potential bad trip mm-hmm. of things not going your way. The set and setting are not well planned or yeah. things erupt that you didn't expect. And then you're like, oh shit, I'm stuck <laughs> on yeah. this. Which is why psychedelics are so terrifying from one perspective if you're not really careful. And that's, you know, one of the reasons I don't just blanket recommend them to everyone because it can go horribly wrong also. Yes. Um, for me, it's like before you even take psychedelics, make sure you're healthy. You know, um, don't even try them if you have any brain fog, any of these other things, uh, hoping that they will cure you of them because it it won't. It won't. Because, for example, um, right now they're using MDMA, right, for post-traumatic stress disorder. Uh, This is uh, uh, being studied uh, to be used by therapists, their patients. And what MDMA does is it separates the informational content. Say I was raped. For example, it separates the fact that information that I was raped versus the feelings that come out of it. Whoa. Right? So, and that's the effect of, of MDMA. So you are able to go out and say I was raped without feeling that entire emotional thing. So with uh, post-traumatic stress disorders uh, uh, in, in wars, for example, uh, you, you, the, the person can see, okay, I shot this kid, like in the American sniper, right? Um, I shot this kid. There's that information, I shot this kid, minus the 
all the whole gamut of emotions that go with it. And that's a form, that's a basis of therapy, right? Mm-hmm. So it with, however, if you take MDMA as a, a drug itself, as, you know, as a party drug, for example, or, um, in a, in a, uh, at a rave, uh, at a rave <laughs> or, or, or for, for your own therapy, it will actually, uh, induce your brain to produce so much serotonin, right? You will have to have a, you get a very large serotonin pulse and that's abnormal, right? But it's good for your therapy for the time, but the next day you should know how to protect yourself. You should know how to take, you know, you know, right after taking it, uh, before you go to sleep, you have to take your 5-HTP, you know, um, make sure that you replenish your tryptophan levels and have a high tryptophan diet the next day. Because uh, uh, this is what these drugs do, right? They they put certain neurotransmitters in your brain on overdrive, right? And if your brain is not healthy to take that, you right. know, it will hurt you. That could, that's just kind of seems plainly... Um, Potentially bad. <laughs> yes, and, <laughs> right? um, yeah. I mean because you're 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 instigating an imbalance. Yes, you yes. know which could go one way or the other depending on all of these other circumstances. Yeah, right? in in the in um in clinical metabolomics, for example, there's a testing for neurotransmitter metabolites. Right, you could see immediately the the metabolites of dopamine, of serotonin, you know, of uh, norepinephrine go in there. So you could take a look at one person. It's like, why does this athlete, why is this athlete unable to focus? And you could see the dopamine levels are way down, right? Or why is this woman depressed? And you could see she's overusing her serotonin. She's trying to cope, but she couldn't, right? And there are many, uh, you know, you could see the profiles of this thing. Why is there no wake? Why do I always feel sleepy? And you see your norepinephrine levels are actually down. You could balance this stuff. And uh, in, in, in best thing is you can balance them naturally um, with uh, just the right amount of amino acids if your enzyme system is still functioning properly. When you're young, your enzymatic system is still functioning properly, right? But when you're older, doesn't doesn't do that as much anymore. That's why, for example, there's this big debate, right? We took out uh, T3 or the uh, triiodothyronine hormone out of the market because we said that T4 will convert to T3 and therefore that will be the one that will be sold only. But then what people didn't realize is that as you get older, that enzyme that removes one iodine from T4 to make it T3 and make it active iodine also decreases in activity. So there's a lot that's going on when you're taking these substances right? It, your age, the, the, your, the situation of your health, more importantly, the situation of your in, intracellular health, what's going on inside there? You know, they should be at op- optimal levels. Now that it's possible to do that, why don't you take a measurement first before you, you, you start using, op- before you start optimizing any performance? You know, optimize your health first. You know, uh, because then you know that even if you push your brain to overdrive, like, yeah, my brain is producing so much serotonin and this E that I've taken, you know that it will recover quickly. Right. right. Rather right. than if your brain is Right. Isn't. So this is where it comes down to the very specific testing of neurotransmitters, yes, hormones, yes, toxic load, yes. heavy metals, gut biome, yeah. all that. Yeah. 
creating balance there, yeah. having a good base yeah. level. Yeah, that's then, done by clinical metabolomics. Right. Yes. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, moving on to the the next thing, I'm very, very curious about as you and your cohort uh, Roland showed up here today, and we started having a chat, and I think the topic of psychedelics or microdosing came up, and you're like, oh well, today's Monday, so today was my LSD microdose. I thought this is going to be a great podcast. <laughs> One thing that's interesting to me about the LSD microdosing versus psilocybin. I think I just started with psilocybin because mm-hmm. it was more readily available and it seemed easier to control the dose. Yeah. Um, just from a fundamental level, how the hell can you measure the dose of LSD? Because I'm coming from the old days of Grateful Dead concerts where you have a little paper tab mm-hmm. and you could cut it in four parts and try to kind of microdose just to get a little buzz. But like your buddy might have gotten the part of the tab with more liquid. <laughs> on it, you know what I mean? Yeah, and you're like, yeah. I'm not feeling anything and your buddy's tripping balls over in the corner. Yeah. So how, how can you accurately measure LSD to microdose? Um, what you do is first you need to have a reputable supplier of okay. say 1P LSD. <laughs> okay. Uh, because that's legal, right? Oh, okay. Um, uh, it's legal you, where? What, it's, it's legal anywhere. Really? 1, 1P? 1P LSD, yes. LSD isn't, but 1P LSD is. Really? What's yeah. the difference? It's just the 1P. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, is it, is it just a different molecule? The, or? It's just an addition to the molecule. Oh, okay, okay. But it has the same effects. If it's legal, where could one get it? Um, there's a... If right, you, I don't want your if, guy, no, you know, but... No, if, no, if you... Just type in the Google One P L S D buy. You will see it. Really? It's a website. Yeah. Wow. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. Um, and then, so how does one accurately microdose? Because yeah, I mean, with LSD, you, that's not something you yes. want to like. Oops. You, took you have four to have someone accident, you know. that actually knows how to measure it accurately. The okay. your your supply. Got right? it. Your supply is a hundred micrograms, and then you have a diluent, the liquid that you used to dilute it with. That you can actually. Uh, use a syringe or something to gauge the number of ml of diluent that you I have, see. and then you could, you could, uh, you know, say it's one hundred micrograms. You know, every ten will be will be uh, every line, for example, of a hundred um, uh, of a one cc syringe or one ml syringe. Uh, every line would be uh, ten, right? Got it. I that, I think that's kind of what I do with peptides. Yeah. I recently started shooting up peptides just why yeah. not um no i mean and, <laughs> i mean every line would be one it takes a little bit of math because yes. even when i was trying to figure out the peptides i'm like wait 15 yeah. what yeah. you know I, was just, I thought yeah. i think i got it right see if i freak out um so definitely not for the you know the the, the novice with the lsd yeah, there yeah if your your source must deliver it to you accurately weighed right but otherwise okay. there's no way that right. you could you know. Yeah, and that's you don't want to like go to the office that day and be like, "Whoops!" <laughs> <laughs> well, the car- the carpet's moving. Ah, <laughs> oh, man, not the desired effect today. And and you actually, um, you know, when I'm in it, I I usually just stay with a small group of people. I I don't like you know large crowds etc. Because oh my you become God. a little bit more empathetic. Like right. you feel you feel the energy. You of pick people. up energy. Yeah, uh, yeah. uh, uh, scientifically, what's happening? to your brain when you're taking LSD, a microdose of LSD. The, the nice thing about that is that this has been studied, right, by Robin Carter at Harris, is they found that it actually dampens the uh, uh, default mode network of the brain. Again, this is another network, mm-hmm. which is the, sit, the seat of the ego. Okay, what? So you get an ego dampening effect. Really? When, yeah. 
So, yeah. so you could say LSD is like exogenous humility. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> Something like that. And you're also, I find myself uh, with ac- actually a lot of uh, creative solutions. Oh, right? interesting. Creative solutions, a lot of things that, uh, you know, you, you, you're, you're looking at solutions for outside the box all of the time. And you're looking for the way to actually implement them. And it's when a microdose when I actually uh, am able to uh, think about, okay, this is the bridge that actually forms there. So the, the connection becomes uh, clearer to me. Um, as you said, um, exogenous humility is actually very funny because uh, my mom died a couple of years ago. And of course, brothers and sisters were all like in a table and we were all fighting one way or the other and how to fix the problems, et cetera, et cetera. We had a very, uh, uh, let's just say it was a very bad first meeting. So the next time around, there was a meeting, there was a, another meeting. So I dosed all of them. <laughs> 20 minutes later, everyone was amendable to the solution. Are you serious? So, yeah. Knowingly? <laughs> yeah. Did they no, know? No, I didn't. They knew. Oh, okay. Yeah. I was gonna, that was yeah. borderline unethical. If not, but if it worked, hey. Yeah, but there was a camera in front <laughs> of them too. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> like what you're saying here is binding. <laughs> That's funny. Oh man. That's hilarious. Okay. Um, God, so fascinating. Let me, let me check the time here. Cause I know you, you have a flight at some point. Okay. We're good. Because uh, I'm just having way too much fun. I knew this was going to be a good one, but it's it's better than I thought. This is so fun. Um, okay. <sighs> Ayahuasca. Yes, sir. You explained something to me earlier that you've actually created your own version of DMT, mm-hmm. uh, which you're calling Pharmawasca. Yes. Take us down this rabbit hole because... The recent ayahuasca experience I had was freaking amazing. Mm-hmm. Uh, when the time is right, I think it's something I would definitely do very intentionally again. Mm-hmm. But one thing I definitely did not like about it was the sort of wasted energy of battling the, uh, the nausea. You know, I didn't nausea, vomit nausea. my four ceremonies. Yeah. Thankfully, I didn't you know, purge. Uh, the fourth day I did purge mm-hmm. out the other side uh, considerably which was not pleasant at all, but um, just distracting, you know, mm-hmm. like when you're laying there on your mattress and you're having some beautiful realization or experience and then it's like, oh God, I, gotta, I think I have to switch to the other side or I might throw up. You know, it's just like, I don't even want to spend that much energy. Now, purist of the traditions would be like, oh, that's part of it. The plant knows, like you have to work through this. But I felt like I could have had the same experience without feeling nauseous. And you said you felt the same and you cracked the code. So what is it? <laughs> no, let's go first things first. The baseline okay. is that I hate suffering. Okay. You know, yeah. uh, I am one of those people who don't like to suffer. As I told you earlier, if you believe that you have to work hard for your money, then work hard for your money. Uh, it's the same thing. If you believe that you have to suffer for enlightenment, then go ahead and do that. Right. But um, uh, what I'm after is one cent solutions. I'm sure you've heard of the Guru and the Buddha, right? Walking by Enlightenment River. Have no, you heard it? I don't think so. So the Buddha and the Guru were walking at the bank of Enlightenment River. And at the middle of Enlightenment River was Enlightenment Island. And the Guru said to the Buddha, you know, Buddha, I studied for 30 years at Levitation Island. And now I can just walk on water and reach Enlightenment Island. The Buddha said, my God, 30 years, that's so difficult. I said, why did you do that? the ferry to Enlightenment Island costs only one cent. <laughs> so <laughs> right. I am after one cent solutions. And I think ayahuasca is a, 
I feel ayahuasca is a one-sense solution to enlightenment. So, and then when I saw that uh, the active ingredient is the methyltryptamine, which occurs naturally in the brain, I I said, okay, time for me to put my pharmacological training in this. So the initial ones that I I, I uh, worked on was using the traditional um, traditional liver inhibitor called the Harmala, you know. Um, and so this is the other. There's two vines, yeah, two vines, right? and psychotraviridis. Benisteriopsis capi is the vine and it inhibits the liver. It's an irreversible MAOI inhibitor, right? So, And that is responsible for all of the vomiting. And that's why you go into a dieta, you know, two weeks before and so on and so forth. So, so that you're actually removing pyramine from your food. Okay, so you, uh, cheeses and other pyramine-rich foods are forbidden, right? Because, because of that. Um, <clears throat> it's an MAOI inhibitor that is irreversible. So, you know, and um, the other one, psychotravidides, cont- contains DMT itself. Then they put it together. So right? if you just if you just boiled up a bunch of the vine without the in- inhibitor, nothing would happen psychoactively. No, actually, the, in, interestingly, the vine because it's an MAO inhibitor. So MAO inhibitor means that all like the dopamine, for example, in the brain, the catecholamines in the brain will not be degraded as rapidly if you take the vine. So it by itself, it has an effect. All right. It has an effect. It just doesn't have the dimethyltryptamine. Ah, right? okay. Yes. Dimethyltryptamine, you can find psychotraviridis. It's in the root bark of acacia trees, you know, uh, where usually you can buy from Amazon, right? Oh, yeah. a friend of mine's like, hey, I got a DMT vape pen. It's made from bark. If yes. you want to come over and trip balls. I was like, what? Acacia root bark. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. So um, interesting. So what I did was uh, I actually found a drug which is an antidepressant that's the world's only reversible MAO inhibitor. Okay. So which means that even if you eat, so even if you eat, it will not cause you to vomit. So uh, that uh, plus uh, some DMT crystals, you know, will. give you a journey about four to five hours. So you give the liver inhibitor first and then after the liver is sufficiently inhibited, then you start giving the measured DMT capsules, right? Um, and, uh, you know, in a, in a particular protocol, you know, okay. in a partic- particular protocol. Um, you know, for myself, I started really, because I did this for myself. Uh, so I uh, started really... Um, uh, doing this with very small doses, like, uh, you know, 50 milligrams every 30 minutes and only for 100 milligrams total, just to, that's the starting dose. And, and where then, do these crystals originate? Are they a pharmaceutical? Uh, no, I, you extract them from your own kitchen. You can't oh, buy wow. them. They're illegal, right? Wow. These are they're illegal. They're illegal. illegal. Oh, okay. They're in schedule one substance. Oh, okay. I yeah. see. Okay. They're scheduled on substance. Okay. And I said, uh, my, my joke is that everyone should be hauled to jail because we're harboring elite and <laughs> schedule one substance in our brain, right? Right. It's kind of funny. Right. But um, uh, yeah, it's, uh, there are many, many um, uh, references out there on how to extract, to purify and so on. So yeah. is there something about your process that's proprietary that you figured out that other people haven't? No, no. Oh, okay. uh, the only thing that I figured out there was uh, what type of liver inhibitor to use. Ah, yeah. I see. Okay. Yes. And so, if everything is actually in capsules. 
I so see. there's no more plant material. There's nothing. But the nice thing about it is that you don't get into nausea. You don't get into the vomiting. You don't get into diarrhea and whatever. Uh, and as we were talking earlier, you know, a friend of mine described the journey as seeing everything in HDTV rather than seeing it as a broken TV. So that's the kind of experience that um, I have gotten from it. Um, in in terms of ayahuasca means work. It you know I I want I want to be able to work my issues right uh, in there right right. So and uh, for me it's a more gentle. Uh, form of introduction of a more gentle ride to Enlightenment Island rather than, you know, trying to levitate and drowning quite a few, near drowning quite a few times before you well, reach it's, it. it. It's funny because one of my very mild concerns was, wow, if I really enjoy ayahuasca, I could have the propensity to want to do it more often for the wrong reasons, you know, mm -hmm. just to have fun and yeah. escape my problems mm -hmm. rather than facing them, mm -hmm. which is what I did. Um, but because of the nausea, you know, it's like I left there kind of going, I would like to do this again because of the insights mm -hmm. and the things that I was able to heal or that the plant or God or whatever healed for me. So mm -hmm. I want more healing, mm -hmm. but I'm like, oh God, I don't want to like lay on that mat feeling sick, you know? Yes. And so that was kind of a safeguard for me because there's no way I would do ayahuasca recreationally <laughs> no, because of the uh, suffering yeah. involved, you know? But yeah. when you tell me like yours, you still trip balls and you have all these great visuals and these you know, this healing transformation takes place without the sickness, I could see myself going, cool, like I'll do that tonight. <laughs> Let's go. Let's do it every night. Actually, you know? I still am afraid. You know, really? I've taken it uh, yeah. uh, a lot of times, the things I've done, and I still have this awe and a slight fear. In fact, a large amount of fear of the substance because it transforms you, it changes you. It does. Right? And you have to be ready to accept those changes. No matter how much you cry about the changes, someone's being pulled out of your life, someone's being shoved into your life and so on. You just have to surrender. You know, that's what it does. Yeah. I think that was the big takeaway for me was surrender. And the yeah. more I was able to surrender into the experience, the deeper the experience got and the more, the more power it had, you know, like the more transformation took place the less resistance I had, which is of course counterintuitive because you think, oh, I want to control the situation to get what I want, the desired outcome. Whereas with the plant medicine, in my experience, it was like the more you let go, the more it guides you where it feels it, it needs to go. And ultimately that serves the highest good for your evolution. Yeah. It's the main lesson, right? It's, you know, people call it ego death. I call it pushing away the ego, you know, or, or piercing through the veil of what they call in uh, Hindu philosophy, pierce the veil, veil, the veil of illusion, and you see what's really there, right? Right. Yeah. And see, that was what was the uh, the weirdest thing for me was having not been intoxicated for so long at the point at which I did ayahuasca, mm -hmm. as it started to come on. I mean, it was, I'm, and I always am honest about this, it was super fun. Mm -hmm. I was like, this is amazing. I'm high as shit. That, that mm -hmm. was my first thought. It was just mm -hmm. like, whoa, yes. I always liked this feeling, you know, it's a familiar territory for me. Um, but at the same time, I felt extremely sober because the addictive thoughts and all the thought patterns and even the body and the ego personality and what people think or what I think of them, all the opinions, all the shit was sort of pushed to the side. And there I was just in complete pure consciousness, which I think is about as sober as you can get. Yes. Because when you're 
so encumbered by the personality and the thoughts and all the things that make us the human meat suit kind of person that we are, when all that is sort of pushed aside, as you said, that veil is mm-hmm. pierced or lifted, mm-hmm. you're in a place of the utmost sobriety. It's mm-hmm. the strangest paradox, I think, um, that I've experienced in that way. And I think there's so much more work to be done on that level. Uh, I want to know, in your experience, did you ever have anything with the with the pharma pharma waska, uh, where <laughs> I don't want to say this without sounding crazy, but I am kind of crazy, so I'm just going to say it. But it was as if there was a visitation happening, mm-hmm. and it was very kind of ET like, mm-hmm. but no little green men. It was very mechanistic, very like the visuals were very mechanical. Things were. Click, click, click. Everything was right angles. There was no organic matter at all. It was all like geometric lights, but it wasn't like a video game because there was a consciousness behind it and it knew what to do to me and for me and with me. And I was kind of communicating with it in a nonverbal feeling way. And it was doing this sort of very mechanical adjustment on my body, on my mm-hmm. psyche. And then at a certain point, you know, the different things happen different nights. Uh, those of you listening, I did a three-part series podcast, a trilogy called Welcome to the Jungle, my ayahuasca experience at Rhythmia. So if you want more, go back and listen to that. Um, but at various times, aside from just that sort of ET visitation, mm-hmm. kind of grid spaceship abduction type thing that was going on, there was also an involuntary... Um, journey, multiple journeys into traumas mm-hmm. that I had experienced, and a and a almost a refeeling of them, a re-experience of them, but in a positive way that was not scary or harmful in any way, but a healing because it allowed me to see the the true depth and impact of some of those traumas that I think psychologically, cognitively, I've worked on, I've dealt with, I've talked about it, I've had therapy, I've done all the things. But the medicines in its intelligence or whatever is behind that said, yeah, you've taken a look at this, but watch this. Boom. Yes. You know, and it was just like, oh my God, I got it's so right in, fucked up as a kid. Right I mean, that's really what you. it was. Yeah. I was like, I had no idea that I was so hurt. Yeah. And it's not a victim thing. It's just, it's a admission of reality. Mm-hmm. You know, I was really, really badly hurt and traumatized. And then I could see... The lineage of that is it's colored my whole adult life yeah. up to 48 years old. And um, within the stark reality of that, I think, is where the healing was. So I know I said it was a question. Maybe I'm just kind of sharing with you. But w- what do you think is behind that kind of ET visitation thing? And did you do you know what I'm talking about? Did you have I know anything what you're talking like that? About, but um, for me, it's most more... It's like this. Yours is more discreet, right? Uh-huh. Mine is... It's a swirl of this geometric and then almost robotic-like beings and they swirl around uh. and swirl around and one of them would face you, <laughs> right? <laughs> and, and then you you get this flashback, you know, from, from some event in childhood and then they will go again and go again and then another one will come out and then <laughs> just face you. But um, my more interesting why I... I um, you know, I was a very strict neuroscientist. I was in a lab for several years and so on. The experience that actually convinced me of uh, the power of uh, ayahuasca was that um, two of us went on a journey by the beach, right? Uh, by the beach. And then 
true enough, you know, the 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 sky, you see the fractal uh the sky fold into fractal universe, you know, and everything, the, the clouds became angel wings. And then um, looking over, you could see the steps over the ocean, right? Um, and I was describing this scene, these steps over the ocean uh, and so on. And he started describing the same thing. So we were sharing the quote unquote hallucination. We were seeing the same thing and we were not communicating other right. than with the molecule itself. And then I, I I I read further that the molecule used to be called telepathine. Wow, that was the original name. Wow. Yeah, yeah. So so th- that that for me is like it's right like getting a rug from pulled from out from under you. It's like why the fuck are we seeing the same thing? That's trippy. Yeah, yeah. that's very trippy. Um, another thing about it that was apparent to me was that I don't know if it was apparent, but I'm I'm kind of just stabbing in the dark, hoping I hit the target uh, of what was happening and without overanalyzing it, mm-hmm. just out of curiosity. And just, I was just so impressed by the whole experience, but back to the veil thing, it, it was as if the limits of my perception that keep me in this 3D world mm-hmm. were pushed to the side and I was able to kind of you know, like a submarine putting up its, what is that? Per, is it periscope? Is that what it's yes. Called? Right. Yes. A submarine putting up its periscope going, oh, there's a world above the water. Mm-hmm. We didn't know there was a world up here. Mm-hmm. It was very much like that. So I'm living in this 3D kind of, you know, uh, Newtonian experience. And then poop, pop my head up above water and go, there's, holy shit, there's infinite dimensions mm-hmm. here that I'm working with and playing yeah. with. So it was... I couldn't tell whether those dimensions are always here or if, and they're just, they're masked by my tether to the Newtonian physical experience, or if it took me to other dimensions as an out-of-body experience Mm -hmm. or near-death experience or something like that would. Did you get a sense of, is it it either or both or all? In the um, Hindu um, uh, energy healing philosophies and and, uh, teachings, right? Um, they have the centers of energy called chakras and it's supposed to open up your crown chakra or the Sahasrara chakra and exposes all the other dimensions to you. That's why the initial uh, descriptions of people who took DMT under Rick Strassman, right? This is IV, is it, they felt like a, a portal or a doorway open and in it were all the uh, other dimensions. And for me, the experience is always like that. Mm-hmm. It's like, there are other dimensions out there that you can't see that's affecting you. Right. Yeah. Uh, side note, do you think there's any truth to the concept that uh, taking shilajit, which is really high in fulvic mm-hmm. acid, mm-hmm. can assist in decalcifying the pineal gland? Scientifically, does that make sense at all? Uh, you know what? Since I cannot quantify or <laughs> right. measure what's in shilajit, yeah. I know that shilajit is also used to raise testosterone levels. But really? I, yeah. Oh, yeah. damn. Because well, I take it every day in uh, my coffee. My uh, body likes it. Well, it's zinc rich. So, <laughs> right? Interesting. You need zinc for testosterone production. Interesting. Okay. Because yeah. that's one of these sort of new agey things people say. And but they're usually the people selling you shilajit. Yeah. So, I'm like, yeah, how it's, do you really prove it's, that? It's the old mineral combination for testosterone boosting, right? Zinc and magnesium. This is why they have zinc-magnesium combos and they add some arginine in it. And, you know. Right. I did about six hours on deuterium mm. on the show, deuterium depletion. Mm-hmm. 
And then I uh, had my levels tested and then I went on maybe a two to three month exclusive diet of real deuterium depleted water. There's a lot of hogwash being marketed now, which they're calling water deuterium depleted, but it's really just like my spring water, about 135 Mm -hmm. parts per million, which is not depleted. It's just lower than like seawater or your average tap water, which would be around 155. And correct me if I'm wrong. The idea with the deuterium thing is that um, when we have too much deuterium in our body, it damages the nanomotors in the mitochondria, which produce ATP. So you're cellular energy is there, thereby depleted because your body's just too bogged down by deuterium. And the idea is that evolutionarily, we wouldn't have ever picked up so much deuterium from the environment because we're living as hunter-gatherer people and we're moving around and we're, we had the ability to burn fat and to get deplete our own deuterium without having to drink some special water. Now, I felt a marked increase in energy when I took my levels down from like 146 to I think I ended up at 123 or so. Mm-hmm. And I definitely felt like more energetic and just kind of more clear. And I, I mentioned this to um, Dave Asprey when I was on Bulletproof Radio and he was like, ah, the whole deuterium thing, I think it's all bullshit. He said, I don't think that has really any, uh, any meaningful impact on mitochondrial function. I didn't even put it in my mitochondria book because I just thought it was basically worthless junk science or something. I was like, God, I interviewed two brilliant PhDs for six hours about it. I was very convinced. Now, of course, they sell to depleted water, (laughs) you know, so, you know, you have to acknowledge that, I'm honestly, but what's your take on the relevance of deuterium and and depleting it from a mitochondrial perspective? You know, um, you know, Dom de Casino, right? Yeah. Yeah. Big keto guy. Well, you know, I also invited him to speak at a few events and um, we got into talking about deuterium depleted water and he pointed me to this article that says that the mitochondria actually depletes its own deuterium. It has a mechanism. The water that it uses, in other words, the um, the water that's used inside the mitochondria is actually deuterium depleted water. So it's true. The body has its own mechanisms for uh, deuterium, uh, for making its own deuterium depleted water. I think where the contention is, is are you really able to absorb the deuterium uh, depleted water or are you just hydrating enough and with clean water such that you are actually helping your cells hydrate with a, you know, proper water and so on and so forth such that it's able to deplete its own deuterium properly. So that's where I am on that one. Right. You know? uh, it's not exactly hogwash. It may be doing something because you're providing some water that uh, the body may be using in order to increase its deuterium depleting capacity. It's not the water. I, right. I suspect, uh, personally, it's not the water itself. Right. Well, yeah. you, what you're describing is what was indicated by yeah. Dr. Boros, who's yeah. one of the two, um, I guess he's a scientist, he's a professor at um, UCLA. And his point of view was that your body does naturally deplete it mm-hmm. if you're at optimum health, like yes. we would have evolutionarily speaking. Yeah. But because the body becomes so um, uh, abundant in deuterium that you lose the energy to mm-hmm. do it on your own. Mm-hmm. And so it just keeps compounding throughout your lifetime. And unless you can get your levels under 130 parts per million, then you can't deplete it on your own anymore. But if you get below that threshold, 
then if you're eating, you know, a high fat diet, keto, et cetera, and not, mm-hmm. you know, eating tons of fruit and high deuterium foods like processed grains and things that are just loaded with deuterium, that your body then kicks into gear and it can deplete it. And then you produce, like, as you said, your mitochondria produce this metabolic water or mm-hmm. exclusion zone mm-hmm. water, and then you're good. But mm-hmm. there's this threshold that you have to get under. Does that make sense? Yeah. I, you know, he makes sense to me, but even the mitochondrial function naturally declined with age, right? So when you're about your mid forties, you're about at the tipping point for, for aging in the, according to the mitochondrial theory of aging, right? And that can be attributable to deuterium accumulation or something else. But on the whole, when I look at it is what are the things that you can actually do in order to improve your mitochondrial biogenesis, improve its function and so on. And, you know, I'm not discounting deuterium depleted water. It may be one of them. Right. Right. Or something else might work for you and not deuterium depleted water. But what is interesting is that they found a way to quantify, you know, uh, to quantify that. And what I'd like to see is probably a a quantification of how much ATP is actually being produced versus the right, deuterium Right, right. So test your ATP yeah, production yeah, yes. capacity yes. while you're still really heavy in yes. deuterium and then do a depletion protocol and then test yes. the function of your mitochondria and how much ATP they're producing post-depletion Yeah, you can period, do that now. Right? You can test mitochondria, yeah. uh, how much ATP the mitochondria is producing. That's cool. Because I, th- I thought of that too, because yeah. when Dave Asprey kind of, well, he didn't corner me, but he's yeah. like, I don't know, do you feel different? Kind of caught me off guard and I thought, I don't know. Did I just buy a bunch of this water for no reason? I was sort of second guessing. I thought, I think I have more energy. But yeah. placebo is so powerful. You don't really know. You know, how much was I just buying into the whole deuterium story? And how much did I really feel like I had more energy? Yeah. And I believe that I, that I did and that I do uh, yeah. after that process. But I also am a big fan of lab results too. And seeing yeah. like, aha, like I was satisfied just to see, okay, I was at 146. Yeah. A couple months later, I was at 123. I'm like, awesome. And that's testing breath and saliva. They do it two ways. That's why I'm a a big fan of what I call measured wellness, right? It's very hard to go to illness medicine doctor. It's like, oh, I took this and I felt so fantastic. But when they saw, when when they see the results and you present it to them, oh, you can't argue with that, right? There's an actual objective measure of what you just did. And that's that's how you change the perspective of illness medicine, right? Yeah, that's how you get them to work with you. It's like um, before the patients that I used to get were were um, these uh, very basic patients for which they already done everything, and I was the last result, last resort. Right? That was ten years ago. Now it's like, oh, why don't we come manage this with Doctor Ted or with my trainees? Why don't we come manage this? Because someone's got to keep the cells healthy while you're on chemotherapy, for example. Right, and th- that's why you measure. You measure, uh, you know, if even chemotherapy can can raise your deuterium levels uh, very, very rapidly. So, so kind of MRI, <laughs> yes, yeah. When they put that the contrast, yeah, fluid. That's yeah. The, the gadolinium. Oh God, there's so so much. I used to be an interventional neuroradiologist, oh. so I know that. Yeah. There's so much uh, side effects from gadolinium, right? Yeah. And um, well, funny you mentioned that because my nephew actually got his migraines, the start of his migraines after the injection of the contrast. Um, but one thing about MRI and jet lag, this is just an observation, N equals one exactly. Um, I was having, um, I was having chronic headaches from sinusitis when in, in, uh, in Asia for a bit. And so I decided 
because I, I, I like the effects of magnets on my head. So I decided uh, when I landed there one time with this massive headache to get an MRI to see what my, my head was really doing. And I suspected this chronic sinusitis and it was, right? But then for three days, three or four days, my brain was firing on all cylinders as if I never had jet lag. Wow. You know? It was incredible. You know, it, I, I used to teach MRI. So, you know, imagine realigning all of your uh, hydrogen atoms to one, you know, uh, and then letting them relax and fall and then aligning them again and then letting them relax and fall. And they were doing a, um, a head MR eye uh, on me. So, so I said, this is an expensive hack. <laughs> <laughs> right? But man, I really miss the the you know after that and, and like on day five it's like i am like a tiny bit less than superman and already in terms of you know um, a verbal fluency and you know logical thinking and all that kind Does of that, stuff because i use various pemf devices yeah. before and i mean i use them all the time uh, for different things but before and after flying i find that's one of the most effective like my biocharger mm -hmm. that you guys saw yeah. afterward uh, another thing that which i lent my mom for her lyme disease is called an amp coil and mm -hmm. Um, I use this other thing called a pulse centers, which is kind of more for injuries and things. But I love like magnetic therapy of all types seems mm -hmm. to really help uh, yeah. after landing. Do you think that's because we're so disconnected from the magnetic field for that period? I, I think so. Mm -hmm. uh, you're uh, disconnected from the magnetic field of that period. Um, and also when when you land, you don't ground yourself, right? So there's no discharge of of the electrons and so on. So you're basically just accumulating the charge within yourself. Um, but what I think helps a lot is when your hydrogen atoms are forcibly placed into one direction. And that's the MRI. Yeah. Which a PMF it, yeah. is not going to no, do. No, it's not right? going to do. It oh. forces it in one direction. Uh. This is the only way that you're going to go. Oh. Right? So I think that's the thing. That's the that's right. the trick that uh, that accomplishes that kind of hack. Interesting. Yeah. Um, okay. So I'm going to cut it at one more question here. We've got 12 minutes exactly. And my last question is a three-parter. So um, EMFs, I want to talk to you about mm -hmm. this probably extensively at a later date. Mm -hmm. I struggle with the EMF issue a lot because A, I'm much more sensitive to them than anyone I know. It's one of the reasons I moved to the Hollywood Hills to mm -hmm. get away from these cell towers I was living by. They made me super sick, really bad. Uh, then I move in here and realize since there's no cell service, I have to have Wi-Fi on all the time. <laughs> I also just like, seriously? Uh, you know, and I don't own the house, so I don't want to hardwire the whole yeah. place and go through all, you know. So I had an EMF specialist come over. There's a horrible magnetic field at certain points because of mm -hmm. faulty wiring. Yeah. I fixed the dirty electricity. Like I'm doing everything I can. But one thing that I got um, about a year ago when I was still living next to the cell towers is this thing called a blue shield, okay? Mm -hmm. Not the insurance company, but blue. From yeah, I, I know them. Okay. I, I think I got their product. Okay, too. so I interviewed the inventor and um, this gets into that sort of like spooky woo-woo zone a little because they produce something called a scalar wave. Mm. And what I can tell you for sure is that when I lived next to the cell towers, I didn't know that's what was making me sick because I didn't know they were there. They were hidden mm -hmm. by this kind of faux wall mm -hmm. about maybe 100 yards from my bed, two Ooh. massive cell Ooh. towers. And I had... You're lucky you didn't get cancer. Yeah, my mm -hmm. eyes went bad. Um, I had to start wearing glasses. I had horrific brain fog where I almost couldn't drive. I mean, on and on and on. Headaches, insomnia, just 
horrible, horrible time. I went to every specialist. I could not find the answer. I didn't know what it was, but I just got one of these blue shield things because I, I kind of sort of get the scalar wave mm-hmm. harmonizing your environment concept. And mm-hmm. I, I'm pretty woo-woo guy, energetic. So I'm, I believe in all that. It's not going to kill me. If it doesn't do anything, it doesn't do anything. Even placebo would be better than nothing. So I get the thing. I have even worse headaches for about two weeks. I contact them and they're like, oh, that's because you're finally going into parasympathetic when you're sleeping and you're detoxing because you never do because you live in the middle of a city that's really high MF. Then lo and behold, after a couple of weeks, I started feeling much, much better. And all of those symptoms kind of went away. Then six months later, I you found... the placebo effect kicked in? I, I'm kidding. Yeah, yeah. Well, it could have been. It could have been. And then, but then I found out Six months later, I found the cell towers just by a random mm. recommendation to from Jack Cruz again to watch the sunset. So I climb up this building next door to me to watch the sunset, open the roof, and it's like, warning, warning, radiation, Verizon, these signs everywhere. And I'm like, you got to be fucking kidding me. I'm the most EMF paranoid person on the planet, and here I am living next to them. So anyway. You didn't I, have a sensor? I, you know, I didn't bother doing it because I just figured my environment was high anyway. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I, I was... I, but I, if you were going to the red, I mean... <laughs> well, it was. Then after I found the cell tower, I did get a meter and I was like, oh my, you got to be kidding me. I can't believe I don't have brain cancer. Thank God. Yeah. Anyway, so I'm a believer in the Blue Shield thing because they're... <laughs> I didn't know what my symptoms were from. So this thing I just threw in the corner, I didn't like think about it really. Mm-hmm. Um, and now I have it on in my house and I have the little pocket model and I travel with it. Do you know anything ab- about um, any device's ability to harmonize your your field or scalar waves or any of that stuff? Because very some sciencey people that I've talked to about are like, oh, that can't work. There's nothing in there. It's just some LED lights. It's fake. And I, I, it, everyone I know, it's helped. And the company, when I asked them about it, they said, well, we have a 1% return rate. So someone, it's got to be helping someone, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, what do you think of all uh, that no, kind of I, stuff? I, I was a, an EMF gadget freak. Oh, okay. uh, I even bought this, it looks like a half of an oxygen tank, you know, and the uh, Philippines is like, 220 volts, it's 110. And I basically just exploded. I, I just exploded I, a light bulb in uh, in Spain. I put in my amber light bulb. I'm sitting there with my girlfriend all of a sudden, boom. Yeah. Yeah. So lesson yeah. learned. Yeah. Um, actually, in, um, my house in DC was built in 1904. It's a, it's a very old Victorian. So I had to do a lot of remediation in terms of the EMF. I started with the uh, stetserizer filters. Sure, yeah. sure. The so dirty all, electricity. Yeah, so yeah. All, of my, all of my outlets have that because this is like retrofitting, right? Um, uh, I, started, I started with those. And then I actually gravitated towards the uh, non-powered ones. You know, the, the coils and, and mm-hmm. stuff, they're, they're in my windows. Yeah. I have a big post behind me where all the where all the electrical uh, uh, wires of the neighbors are coming in from. Sure. I mean, I mean, I mean the historic district is very old and the post is right behind my house and I measured it and it's really very high, right? So like Magnetic or electric field? El- um, electric and magnetic, oh, okay. both. Yeah. Um, so what I did was I started putting out, you know, first the powered ones like the blue shield and stuff. Yeah. And then I... Uh, I started putting in um, uh, this uh, uh, non-powered ones. They're, they're coils or circles that you can you, you can purchase. Like those copper yeah, and, coils. And, and, uh, and stuff? there's this company out of Canada that uses biogeometry and uh, for EMF uh, uh, reduction. 
and they they come in cubes and I have that too. And my best, uh, I, you know, my best, uh, proof, you can call it proof that it harmonizes things is that I had a schizophrenic come to my house and sat and he said, Oh my God. He said, what did you do to your place? My brain is so quiet here. I said, I have no voices speaking to me. I have no voices telling me what to do. So I said, well, must be working. Right. (laughs) I have no, I have no other proof that it harmonizes other than that. And he always wanted to come to the house because of that. Right. Because as soon as he enters the house, boom, his brain quiets down. Well, that's, you know, that's the thing about it is from the, you know, completely scientific quantifiable place there's these devices and they don't block air quotes they yeah. don't block the emf because yeah, you they could, just my blue shields yeah. in here you can still come in with a meter and pick up tons of yeah. wi-fi you know so it's like that's what's annoying about it because you can't prove it the only way to really block is the shielding paint and the shielding fabric mm-hmm. and the faraday cages and all that which is i even have a helmet <laughs> <laughs> i have I, the, the cloth one I have one over? <laughs> yeah i sleep in one much to the chagrin of my uh, my girlfriend yeah she's not a fan but anyway I got a healthier brain. All right, dude. Well, uh, we got to get you out of here in a moment. So one last question in our in our last couple of minutes here. Um, you've taught me so much today. Like I said, we can go on and on forever and hopefully we will at another point. Uh, who have been three teachers or teachings that have taught you or influenced you that you might share with our listeners? Actually, um, my I'm very lucky with mentors. So I'm not looking at historical figures, right? Um, uh, when I... In, in the Philippines, I was mentored by three wonderful people who taught me, they were all pioneers in their field in pharmacology and toxicology, interventional neuroradiology and neurology, you know. And then they said, you're causing too much commotion in this country, time for you to leave. Um, that's a story for another time. Um, and when I came to the United States, I was mentored by the pioneer of medical informatics. He started the whole field. His name is uh, William Yamamoto. When I first entered his lab, he asked me, um, he asked me, he said, is beauty computable? And I said, yes. Is consciousness computable? I said, yes. In this lab, you get to choose only one problem. I should have chosen beauty. I could have gotten rich faster. But but, um, what he taught me is that you're a Western trained scientist, meaning you know how to dig down and you know how to analyze or break things into pieces. In this lab, you're going to go laterally pull things together from various domains of knowledge and synthesize things. So that's what this, this, uh, our research is missing, is the capacity to synthesize. That's why the problem that I settled with in the lab is, is consciousness an intrinsic property of uh, complex systems or is it an emergent property of complex systems? So that's a very, that's one of my greatest uh, influences uh, in, in, uh, in the in the way with the way I think, the second one uh, is a dear friend of mine. Um, he started the whole movement of uh, socially responsible investing in 1984. His name is Wayne Silby. He founded the Calvert wow. Group. He founded the Calvert Group, and his uh, uh, thing is now not called socially responsible, but called high impact investing. Right, and his the way he thinks is like this: is that Ted in 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 two thousand, I think two thousand and four or six, he said, "Ted, come help me invest in China." Right, and I said, "Why?" I said, "Can you imagine if each Chinese wanted a car? What would happen to the environment?" And that's the kind of 
thinking that that he he uh, infused me with is that you're a steward of this planet. You're also part of it, you know, and you should take care of everything else that's in it because we're in it together. The connectedness of everything, right? He's the one who actually 20 years ago told me about ayahuasca and I didn't mind it until I was able to do it on my own terms, right? <laughs> right, right. <laughs> right? But um, uh, he's, and that's a kind of, for example, when I deal, like for example, I invest in small companies, right? And when I deal with, uh, with people, what I learned from him is fairness. You know, uh, always deal fairly with other people. No, no matter how much you're tempted because you could get away with it. No, put in the fairness in there. And that's very, very important, right? And the biggest influence for me is not human. I call her Mother Ayahuasca or Mama Aya as I call her because uh, uh, essentially pulled out the rug from under me that this is the only reality there is. And basically solidified that this is a consensus reality that we're living in and there are other realities out there that precede even this reality, right? So I'd like to say uh, to to my students and to, to people I talk to is that we're nothing but a shadow of those worlds, you know. We occur late. Wow. Yeah, we occur late. Wow. Uh, so if you have to work on something, you have to work on something up there before you can work wow. on something up here. Like, you know, all of these um, uh, uh, issues about trauma and everything else, you know, you have to work on it on that level before you can get better here. So there's there's a lot of that uh, um, stuff that uh, comes in wordless teaching, right? When you when you take a pharmawaska uh, or as my friends teach, uh, tease me Achawaska because my last <laughs> name is Achacoso, right? Um, when, when, you, when you do that, you begin the biggest a gift that I have received from her is this intense sense of security, right? That everything is all right, right? And that everything is alive. Everything. You know, I, I spent a uh, one of my birthdays in one of the uh, private island in one of the most beautiful beaches in the world. And um, I was uh, chest deep in water and it was just uh, this uh, uh, gratitude and you could feel the entire, you know, I closed my eyes and you could feel the entire earth vibrating. You could feel the water vibrating, just embracing you, right? Uh, you look at the sun and the sun is like, like yes, you know, we, we hear you. We, you see, that, that aliveness, it infuses everything that you do. You said when we came in here with so much energy, that's because for us, everything is alive, right? Everything is alive. A rock in there has its own consciousness. We don't say that it's conscious only because we cannot become a rock, right? So these are the kinds, these are my influences. Um, uh, uh, people who have influenced me heavily uh, and, and, and spirits that have influenced me heavily in, in my current incarnation. Wow. Right? That might just be the deepest closing of all episodes of the show. Um, if I didn't need these mics for another episode, I would say drop the mic. <laughs> I don't want to buy new ones. Dude, thank you so much. Thank uh, you. Lastly, where can we find you? Any websites or social media you want to drop? Uh, yes. Um, the blue canatine is at transcriptions.com. That's T-R-O-S. Uh, and then like prescriptions. Um, you can take a look at that. Where That's also uh, transcriptions in Instagram. And then uh, there is 
my nonprofit, which was just approved as a nonprofit organization this year to teach doctors and health practitioners uh, about health optimization, medicine, and practice. Uh, you can access that at homehope.org. Or if you want the longer name, healthoptimizationmedicine.org, but that's a mouthful. So homehope.org. Um, and then my um, company in the Philippines uh, uh, is biobalanceinstitute.com. Spell that for us. Biobalance. Biobalanceinstitute.com. Bio okay, cool. Wow. Okay. Thank you so much, dude. Let's get you to LAX so you can stay in balance. Uh, <laughs> thanks so much for joining me. All right. Thank you. All right, you can take your headgear off. Now we're going to come back down to planet Earth. Did I not warn you, or I guess you could say get you stoked that this was going to be a fantastic conversation? I swear to God, this this was like, I don't know, two hours and 20, 2.30, something like that. I could not stop talking to him. If he didn't have to get to the airport, we would have talked for six hours, I guarantee it. And of course, he's going to be at the Health Optimization Summit. I'm interviewing a bunch of people over there, um, some of whom have been on the show before, some big names you'll recognize. Uh, so you can look forward to that in the coming months. But I might have to sit down with Dr. Ted again, like especially if I have a chance to try his Pharmawaska. That's going to be another five-hour episode. Uh, but anyway, if you want to win tickets to join me at the Health Optimization Summit, September 14th and 15th, super easy to win, dude. And dudettes, all you have to do is go to lukestory.com forward slash London. Or on a U.S. phone, you can just text the word London to the number 44222. I'm going to grab the first few people. I'm going to announce the winner in a couple weeks, and we're going to be hanging out in London. It's as simple as that. Next week's episode was recorded on the island of Majorca in Spain with Rich Lister. It's called Nidra Yoga, the Art of Radical Rest for Deep Healing. It's a fantastic episode. If you don't want to miss next week's show or any show that comes after that, super easy. All you have to do is subscribe. Reach down right now, click subscribe on your device or computer, whatever you're listening to my voice on. And that way the future shows will be magically downloaded to you every single damn week. Listen, if you're a fan of the show, there's something you can really do to support me. And that is visit my online store. You know, I'm sure you've heard me plug it. Many of you probably go there already. This is where you can find all of our sponsors and pretty much every cool a product or service or device that I use to stay healthy and happy is listed on my store. Now, I don't sell anything. I just link to everything that I believe is truly awesome. So if you go to lukestory.com forward slash store, you're going to save yourself a lot of time trying to figure all of this out yourself. In many cases, you'll save yourself quite a bit of money because I have exclusive discount codes on many of the products there. It's also a great way to support my work and the podcast because some of the brands uh, give me a commission on sales that go through my site, which is amazing. So it's a way for the brands to win. I win, you win. It's one big party over at lukestory.com forward slash store. Now I have a sneaking suspicion that you want to try uh, this canatine blue stuff that Dr. Ted invented. It's I'm out of it right now. <laughs> I'm like super bummed because it's dope for recording podcasts and doing interviews. It really gives you a clear mind. It's absolutely insane. If you want to get on the waiting list, because it'll probably come out soon after this episode drops, uh, but you won't be able to buy it, here's where you go. Go to troscriptions.com forward slash Luke. That's T-R-O, troscriptions, like proscription, troscriptions.com forward slash Luke for the canatine blue. Stuff is very cool. Thanks to Organifi, one of our sponsors, Blue Blocks, another one of our sponsors, and of course, Juve. And again, you can find all of that stuff 
all the time, neatly categorized in a very organized fashion over at lukestory.com forward slash store. More than anything, I just want to thank you for uh, supporting my work here on the Lifestylist podcast. It means a lot that I've got your ears. I get to live my dream. Honestly, talking to someone like Dr. Ted just makes my life incredible. I mean, it's just, it's such a gift. And I don't know if I would get to meet someone like Ted uh, if I was just a regular dude. I mean, I am just a regular dude. I just happen to have a microphone and um, so a few thousand people such as you that um, listen to what I say into the microphone, at least on a semi-regular basis. So uh, thank you so much for your support and um, help to spread the word, of course, always by just sharing this episode with a friend that you think might learn something or be so inspired. Thank you so much. I'll be back at you next week with Rich Lister. This episode of the Lifestylist Podcast was produced by podcastmasters.net.